One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And as always, before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, let's talk about the few things that have been going on within the Halo community and franchise itself. So first of all, probably the most exciting thing that was just announced is that the firefight for ODST will be coming to MCC this summer. Mm-hmm. But, Finally, the best firefight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just summer. That's all we know right now. So, Which is fine. I mean, that'll give them plenty of time to kind of work through it and see when the release is. Mm-hmm. At least we have a concrete possible three-month release. Yeah. You know, we're either going to be probably looking at June, July, August. Mm-hmm. Probably, I'm going to say July 23rd at 10.23 p.m. Central. I'm just going to say 10. They never do 20. No, no, no. It gets delayed on accident because Xbox <laughs> Live goes down, so they have to push it back a little bit. Because because they're expecting it. Exactly. And then also, we, we've been seeing a lot of footage of Halo 3 on PC. Finally, PC gamers are, you know, finishing the fight because that was the joke for years. PC gamers will never finish the fight. Yeah. So, of course, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's It's really crazy to see a lot of people already just going through the guts of the networking and coding mm-hmm. and, and changing everything from the shaders and everything like that. That's really cool. And, and, and that's what like a lot of PC gaming and modern gaming really enjoys mm-hmm. is allowing those dev kits and mod kits to be able to go in, you know, whether it's to create some goofy things or, you know, let's take Minecraft for an example, where you can put your different shaders in and really change up the landscape that mm-hmm. if you have a beefier machine, it can handle more. Yeah. So you can put like some of those realistic shaders in and, and, change some really cool aspects of it. So I'm really excited to see what the community will build with it. And then finally, and, and take this with a grain of salt, because it's it's a mega blocks and there was yet another quote-unquote leak with a few armor sets. I know you had, I think it's the Ultra from Halo Reach. You know, it's on, pack, it's on a package labeled Halo Infinite. So everyone's kind of looking at this as a new content leak. But again, I, honestly, I think it just boils down to you're going to use the Halo Infinite name on the product to sell it. But it's more than likely going to be a legacy set. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, it's going to force you to buy 17 different jackals, 45 different chiefs, 
you know, all these different aspects they'll add in. But we'll see. Yeah. And you know, I, you know, because this is the second league, right? This is the second Second league. or third one, yeah, I think so. It, it, it's kind of hard to keep up, but at the end of the day, it's it's mega blocks and it's nothing concrete. Because we've talked about this before. Lego does it, mega blocks do it. They they will take scenes that don't exist in the movie that these sets are for and just kind of, you know, twist them up or make a new scene entirely and mm-hmm. fighting new enemies in a new scenario. So Yeah, and, it, and it, it's just driving you to buy them. Yeah. And that's pretty much what it is. So it, we'll see. And by all means, I mean, if there's a, a, a red hunter attacking chief and the pelican, that doesn't give away the story. If yeah. anything, it's kind of like a water's wet moment. You're like, of course they're going to get attacked. Did you not see the trailer? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's it's no Last of Us 2. It's not a mm-hmm. full script leak. It's not yeah. any of that stuff going on. So, you know, once again, like Jesse said, take it with a grain of salt. Um, speculate if you want, if you're bored. Yeah. Just, just wait. Who cares? Just wait. And with that being said, we are now jumping into Halo 4 Part 2. Last week, we covered the early and later stages mm-hmm. of development, the beta or lack thereof. We also talked about the marketing and the campaign with our super detailed hashtag or hashtag detailed walkthrough. This is a super detailed one. Super actually. detailed. So now picking up where we left off. As always, after the campaign, we talk about cut material. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we're going to dive into is the enemies. So there were going to be six Promethean enemy designs total, but it was later cut down to three. They described them as chess pieces when mm-hmm. I was reading about this, and they said that the rook, the queen, and the bishop were all cut. Well, I mean, especially when you already have the knight in there. And, and like, mm-hmm. that would be such a cool set. I think that, I, I hope we end up seeing something like that, just mm-hmm. to have the aspect of the chess piece pieces in there and like that's their thing to go with it's all like the sophisticated game pieces whereas in the covenant you know you have all these different vehicles that Mm -hmm. are are named after like specters banshees all this stuff that's kind of like ghosts you know it's all demonies and then on you know the human side you've got animals after things so it's it's, i would love to see it yeah and i mean especially because we see how the Prometheans interact with one another. Mm -hmm. So having other enemies that do that and have their strengths and weaknesses, but they can all back each other up Mm -hmm. and make this, you know, cohesive team, that would be cool. Versus when you kill an elite grunts right away. Yeah. You know, but, you know, and of course, when we talk about cut material we're also talking about from the previous title so things that are no longer here that were in Halo Reach. So the brutes are gone. Drones are gone skirmishers are gone and engineers are gone now something else i want to talk about with cut material is the promethean knights design Mm -hmm. so the design for the knight would go through dozens of iterations before they settled on the final design josh holmes described getting to that final design as really really painful because you know as we said kiki wolfkill said that it also was kind of a burden designing them they didn't want robot monsters but they settled on robot monsters yeah just a different version of them mm -hmm. yeah and i mean there's that co- the concept art is out there and it exists and it's actually they had a lot of really cool designs and at one point instead of teleporting they turned into a ball and rolled which I think would so have kind of like the droidicas or droid whatever's from Star Wars yeah kind of yeah but I mean they turned in like a like a solid sphere you know then again this was like alpha footage sure. so it could have been a little more nuanced but either way I I loved a lot of the designs I saw because they kind of had that more classic forerunner feel and you mm-hmm. know I wear the nostalgia glasses here so it's definitely like that would have been cool to see that no I I totally agree with that I mean I think 
to each their own with it, but mm-hmm. it's it's. I, I wish there was just more of that type of stuff out and about of like, look at these cool designs, look at these throwback designs for things like that. You know, whether it's in the art prints like that we see. So, uh, you know, I think it worked either way. Yeah, and I think it still kind of keeps up with the way that stuff teleports around to have it in there. So I, you know, I'm, eh, you know, yeah. Eh. <laughs> to wrap up the enemy section of cut material, let's talk about Watcher's abilities. So they actually had a lot more abilities. They had Focus Fire, which is Watchers would join one another and create a focus attack on the player, which essentially you can tell they recycled into those those uh, circular turrets that you have to fight. So it well, and because I guess it's harkening back to in the books is having the Sentinels mm-hmm. be able to do that, to kind of yeah. focus fire, take ships down, take certain aspects down. That was never actually used. Mm-hmm. So I think it was kind of taking that idea as well. Yeah. And then they had something called a physics impulse and a junk attack. And I think junk attack was where they just picked up stuff and threw it at you. That makes sense. Kind of using like a telekinesis mm-hmm. almost and tossing it. So they, 343 was probably like playing Half-Life 2 at the time. And they're like, this is cool. Let's do this. And there's like, no, we'll get called out. And like so much of that stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so now we're on to the weapons. So one of the big things with the original weapon designs that 343 tried to avoid was their original design for the Promethean weapons were too, quote-unquote, sci-fi. Yeah, and, and I don't know about any concept art I've seen, but that's just, I think, what Josh Holmes described them as. Yeah, because a lot of the players who played the early demos and alphas gra- kind of just gravitated more towards the Covenant weapons. Mm-hmm. And which I still do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you imagine they're just like, look at that new weapon. And they're like, cool, nerd. I'm going to use this covenant weapon instead. Yeah, because it's it's kind of thrown at you, kind of shoved down. It's just a an altered human weapon mm-hmm. overall for a lot of it. Um, but overall, within their final designs, they ended up going through t- 200, I believe it was different concepts yeah. to kind of build out the perfect weapons. So it's really cool to kind of see... Because it is, like, starting at ground one, like, what do we do? Yeah. Like, how do we make this different but similar? Taking in the lore of who the Prometheans are within the Forerunners and, you know, that the both Covenant weapons and human weapons kind of both came from the minds of them mm-hmm. and the ruins and things they've created. So it's it's neat to see how they're able to do it. And like I said, I think they implemented it the best they could. Yeah. I just didn't like that I'm shooting just, like, this orange nerf gun yeah that sounds probably i think actually nerf guns sound better than those guns yeah so hopefully we get an improvement with it <laughs> but we also had the stasis gun and it was a forerunner gun that would be able to shoot a shield bubble yeah it was basically like you know uh halo 3 or halo reach just you know shield bubble having a bubble shield and and yeah so like it's a pretty worthless gun if you think about it. that should just be an ability well and it also gets campy at that and i'm kind of glad they didn't have it because actually you know what i want it now but I want it rapid fire. So it's just like hundreds of bubble shields all <laughs> over the play field. I want it. Never mind. I and, want it now. And they overlap. So you have this weird Venn diagram of areas you can actually kill each other. Yes. <laughs> like you throw a grenade. It's just like ricocheting in this tiny little hallway. That's what I need now. Uh, we also have the bishop beam, which would have shot a continuous blue beam. So taking on what the sentinels have mm-hmm. and having like the, you know, the whole idea of chess player characters. So that was taken out. A grapple harpoon, which we may be seeing some grapple stuff coming. I mean, those were some rumors that were flying around. Um, But that'd be kind of cool, be able to move around the map, especially with having your enemies be able to teleport and fly. It might be kind of cool to have something something like that later. 
We also had the burst shot, which would be able to fire one shot or six shot burst. So kind of what we see in like Mass Effect and a couple other different things. Mm-hmm. Taking some ideas from there. We also had the plasma repeater taken out. Yep, from Reach. And then also the plasma rifle. So yeah. we trade the beloved plasma rifle that can be dual wielded or just have some fun with for a different gun. Something that's been in the in the game since day one. Yes. Or, you know, since the first time it was released. So mm-hmm. goofy. But now let's move on to vehicles. So, of course, the beloved Revenant is gone. The beloved Falcon is gone. And not beloved, but the spirit is gone. He was there. It was there. Spirit was there. Um, I mean, we had it pretty much since the third beginning. Third wheel. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. the third wheel since pretty much the beginning. Yeah. So. Show, showed up at CE, then showed up again, you know, as kind of a throwback to Reach. And mm-hmm. now they're like, no, no, no. Get away from here. Yeah. Which I think is fine. I think yeah. two already developed, but they're flying. So it's it's okay. Yeah. And now let's talk about some just miscellaneous things that were cut entirely. So campaign theater mode was cut due to time and resources, which I can also see, you know, Basically, time and resources alone dictated a majority of the decisions made on this project. So I I get it. Uh, Connect integrations, though. Oh, no. (laughs) We didn't have connect integrations. Uh, Of course. Chief, squat down. Chief, fire. (laughs) And I know we say stuff cut from Halo Reach, but this was brought in for Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary, so people kind of expected it to Mm -hmm. transfer over. So. You know, though the Kinect would only see itself in the Halo light for a very short time, it was almost considered for Halo 4. Someone at 343 Industries did suggest at one point using Kinect voice integrations with Cortana throughout the campaign, but Josh Holmes didn't think that the team could pull it off. And I I do and I don't like that idea. Well, I think it's... It would depend how you integrate it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. because that, that to me is such a throwaway feature. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what is it going to do? Hey, Cortana... What did I have for breakfast? Oh, Chief, you had three eggs and some bacon on the side. <laughs> Thanks, Cortana. Because I'm trying to think of anything that you would you would have to say to her to get her to do something, unless it's like, Cortana, activate a tunnel, but then it's just like, or activate a portal, but it just seems like more work than it should be, because like, if you're the, battling a bunch of people, you're not thinking about that. Well, also, that's like, like having a very dumb like smart home thing. Like right yeah. now, they can pretty much understand this, but the Connect. Barely understood your words. So it's like, Cortana, Portal. Uh, sorry, sir, I don't know what you said. Can you repeat that? Portal! What? Xbox off? Okay. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. See you later. Oh, you want to throw Netflix on? Sounds good. <laughs> you know, so I'm, once again, the Connect, amazing tech that they built up to it. It just was the wrong place, wrong time. It was not advanced enough. And it, and even what they could do with it wasn't properly integrated. Mm-mm. So maybe one day we'll get something back. You never know. But moving on from that, of course, this was cut from Combat Evolved Anniversary. No more 3D. Sorry, folks. No more 3D. Uh, Space battles were also cut. And this is... I've seen the definition of what we do in Halo 4 thrown around as whether or not it is space battles. But I don't... I wouldn't necessarily call it a space battle because you're still on the the planet's surface whenever you are in the jet or the Pelican. Yeah. And it's not so much a battle as you're just going from point A to point B. You take out the occasional Well, it's, it's kind of like when you're... It's, kinda, it's like being a Banshee. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the yeah. same type of thing. It's, it's air fight stuff, but it's not mm-hmm. a space battle. Yeah. Uh, 343 also modified the jump behavior because mm-hmm. for years my friends would tease me and say... Halo is that guy that jumps seven foot and he's a robot. So clearly they kind of like made it more like realistic mm-hmm. jump because I remember in an interview, Frank O'Connor was like, well, I mean, you know, there's no way someone would ever be able to jump seven foot in the air 
with a ton on their back. I'm like, yeah, this is all made up, dude. Go with it. Yeah. Like, this is all made up. But there were also going to be space whales on Requiem. Mm-hmm. So just floating off in the distance. And I think since then they showed up at, at uh, Halo Outpost, like uh, 343 Industries made some 3D renderings of it. Yeah. That would have been really cool to see in the skybox. So I was kind of disappointed that that was cut. Yeah, because that reminds me of like the dragons in Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. When you first see yeah. them, like that to me, I've never been shocked by a game as much as like seeing those dragons and like being in awe of mm-hmm. the size and the scope of it. So like being able to have something like that in Halo would have been cool. Yeah. And then let's talk about Cortana's original look. So Cortana's new look was originally going to be one where she was able to show her emotions and expressions more with her body. So she would have changed more colors like she had in Combat Evolved. The, all that that data you see going up and down would have kind of gone into more kind of specific patterns instead of just going up and down. But overall, they said, nah, we're going to go with the Halo 4 look. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, the, the new the new style. Yeah. And finally, and I hate to say this, I guess it's kind of relevant since of recent news, Firefight. This was due to the fact that 343 Industries couldn't make a straightforward Firefight game canonical and drive the overall Reclaimer Saga narrative forward. So they were like, we can't make this canon. Why not? And I also like that this is, that just to me seems like such a uh, an excuse with it. It probably is. I granted I am going off of what they said, but sure. it was probably like it's, Frank O'Connor or someone literally could have just said, "I don't want to," you know. But they're not going to do that to the fans. Fans yeah, would lose no. it. So it's like it's not canonical. So they go, hmm, "Yes, yes, not canonical." Yeah. Which they basically gave us a ripoff firefight with with Spartan Ops, which we will be covering next. Hey, but so. that was canonical. But yeah, now it's canonical because we have cutscenes that have nothing to do with what just happened. Yep. Oh, well. Yeah, so that's pretty much it for the cut materials. Now we're going to jump over to the achievements. In August 2012, 343 Industries community manager Jessica Shea would reveal the game's achievements, stating that they wanted to give achievements for milestones and give them weird-ass names. Because that's that's how Bungie did it. They wanted to kind of say, hey, look— Cool kids, we're cool too. And it's like, and it's like, okay, well, so you're just doing what Halo's done, yeah, like or like pretty much what every game does nowadays. Yeah, it's just like it's, it's all like kind of throwaway stuff. Yeah, just silly names, like yeah, yeah. I mean, so so yeah, so your obvious ones are completing every mission, completing it from normal, hard to legendary. Yep, you've got all those in there. Then you've got some ones that you know definitely challenge the gameplay and pushed for replayability. You know, like one that this is my rifle, this is my gun. In mission three, carry a UNSC weapon all the way through on heroic or harder. Yeah. So it definitely challenges you because I think you start with it and you basically only pick up Promethean stuff from there on out. Yeah. So you got to like, there's probably assets here and there, like ammo you can pick up. But for the most part, yeah, you got to keep that. Yeah. So it's basically you're down to one gun. I mean, basically every one of these missions have kind of their own challenge, like bros to the close, like... Make it through mission four without one preventable marine death on heroic or harder. Like mm-hmm. all, all of those have their own kind of unique challenge, which it's always cool to see stuff like that. Yeah, and then you got some you got some shout outs here. You've got I Heart Red versus Blue, which is just win five war game matchmaking. So it's just a little shout out to Roost Teeth and Red versus mm-hmm. Blue. Has nothing really to do with them in there. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's just a lot of those aspects. Plus, I mean you've you've seen them all on MCC or playing through four create a, a custom lobby, create a little thing. Like It's all like almost tutorial missions. Yeah, and of course, the Spartan Ops achievements are integrated in with this too, which, again, we'll, we'll be covering for the next episode. But 
you also have ones just complete a challenge and, you know, complete 25 challenges and all that stuff, which, man, I don't even know if Halo 5 does challenges. I remember for Halo 4 and even in Reach, you know, Monday mornings waking up and, and texting my friends, seeing that weekly challenge and the daily challenges, too. So definitely uh, miss those. Miss yeah, it, those it, times. it brought back so much replayability. Mm-hmm. And most games have it nowadays. Like, if you're looking at, like, Call of Duty Warzone, you know, they're, they're throwing in these daily challenges to kind of get you going. Even, like, League of Legends stuff and Riot things, like, are doing that same type of aspect. Yeah. It's it's to get you to come back, whether it's to log in for that day or anything. And even, like, most infamously are pretty much all your sports games, whether it's Madden, NBA, any of those mm-hmm. insane challenges to kind of open your packs and drain your bank account. Yeah, which I feel like every game night... Everyone is usually at least like two or three people are like, oh, just got an achievement for doing this weird thing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's always funny, like how it's just like achievement, 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 especially at MCC, which has like three or six hundred. I can't remember. Has a lot. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the multiplayer. Three, four, three industries wanted to make the multiplayer feel like their own. And with this, they would make the multiplayer canon in the Halo universe. Every multiplayer game you play is on the Infinity, dubbed Spartan War Games, simulations used to train Spartans on their upcoming missions. One reason 343 Industries did this was to make a sense of the armors and experience being earned in Spartan Ops and used in Spartan War Games and vice versa. So what they wanted to do is they say, well, your multiplayer guy has this set of armor, and then all of a sudden you play Spartan Ops, and he has that same set of armor. Why is that? Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter at all. It does not matter. I'm sorry, it doesn't. And this this is one of my hills to die upon right here, is is the idea of doing that. As I said, Destiny ended up doing that too, and mm-hmm. a lot more are. Like, you brought up League of Legends is how, you know, League of Legends has... Yeah, their original lore was that the player was, correct me if I'm wrong, some sort of god controlling the champions, or you were some kind of being that dictated those battles. Yeah, I mean, you you were basically, yeah, you basically, these champions fight for you, mm-hmm. but you were controller of the Nexus, and you, yeah. like, sent them out and commanded, and obviously, now that we're seeing expanded lore and them having 3,000 characters, it's now kind of reinvented itself to actually be lore within it. Yeah, so we're we're seeing that, you know, happen a lot more and more. So and and I don't see the drive for it personally, but that's me and, and I'll move on from there. So three four three industries also wanted to bring the strict campaign crowd into multiplayer. So essentially, you know, there was that disconnect, but they literally thought if they said, We're gonna make this canon, then the people who just play campaign are just all of a sudden gonna be like, Okay. Yes, I don't like multiplayer games. I just want to play for the campaign. But it's canon. Yes, I will play it. Yeah, and they even thought there would also be a carryover from multiplayer to campaign. It's it's bizarre that line of thinking, but hey. it, it it it's it's it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it game came out you know almost ten years ago at this point, so it's just we move on from it. Exactly. So when a player ranks up, they earn Spartan points. Players can use these to purchase new armor and weapons for your loadouts. When a player would reach level 50, they would receive a specific armor set that acted kind of as mods. Mm -hmm. There was an armor set for vehicle combat, sniping, leveling up faster, and a lot more. So essentially prestige. Yes. Fans could also receive codes for specializations if they either bought Halo 4 Special Edition or if players in United States, Canada, Chile, Mexico... Colombia, Brazil, Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, 
Korea, Taiwan, Australia, New Zealand, or India played the multiplayer before November 20th, 2012. And if they had done either of these, Microsoft would email the player a code. And if a player either purchased the special edition or played multiplayer before November 20th, only two out of eight specializations would be available. And uh, specializations could also be used in Spartan Ops 2. So to sum that up, if you played it early on, you got it. If you played it later, you could start to unlock it more. Yeah. So 343 Industries would start looking at popular trends in first and third person shooters. And with this, they would create a more diverse class system, adapting it from Halo Reach's system. But Frank O'Connor stated that their class system wasn't about spawning with the best gun, but rather most of the weapons were similar. And picking your weapon was mainly for style. I disagree with that, but alas. Yeah, because I mean, in, in SWAT, I used the, the carbine because mm-hmm. it was the quickest fire. Yeah. Like, and yeah, I, I like that you could customize it and you can kind of set loadouts because mm-hmm. that was kind of the, that was the era of loadouts. Yep. You had so many games starting that. And so it was cool. But even playing it today and forgetting what my loadouts were, yeah. it's like, oh, we're playing like oddball. I do not have a loadout for oddball. Yeah. We're playing this. I do not have a loadout. I for have that. one loadout that I only ever use. Well, so. And I had a loadout for campaign and I had a loadout for other ones. So yeah. it's, it's, it's an idea if you played a lot of it and it would help. But, you know, it sometimes caused a, a tiff in that. <laughs> um, but however, 343 Industries also felt that with the new ability to create loadouts, players are now taking advantage of more, if not all, the weapons in the sandbox. 343 also wanted to decrease the learning curve in Halo, making it more open and friendly to more and new users, as well as making onboarding, like Call of Duty, Medal of Honor players, into the Halo multiplayer. So they were targeting that audience, for sure. 100%. You, you, yeah. you see it in the, the gameplay. It's still Halo-y, but it has an attempt at the movement in these other games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though fans would compare this new loadout system to Call of Duty, Max Hoberman would state that certain affinity had worked on both the Halo and Call of Duty franchises and that Halo's loadout system was fundamentally different. And I do agree. Mm -hmm. It is. However, most loadouts were basically the same at the time. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it was... It's still pick a gun, pick your ability, pick your grenades. All right, go. That's what Call of Duty was. I mean, yeah, like, sure, like, the abilities are different than Call of Duty ones, but they're still primary gun, secondary gun, as you said, uh, uh, grenades, and then one or two abilities. And your perks, basically. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah, that's basically what you had in Call of Duty. So I understand where people are coming from with it, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it, it was still welcomed as a refresher to multiplayer. Yeah. So speaking of certain affinity... They would have a huge hand in development of the multiplayer, with 85 members of the team spending 18 months working on it. Max Hoberman would also state that working on Halo 4's multiplayer was a challenge, since even though Certain Affinity had worked on the Halo franchise for years and knew the core values of it, they had little input in Halo 4, and 343 Industries were changing things daily. Mm -hmm. They were working with a new studio, and the tools and technology for the project were being developed simultaneously. Even though they didn't have a lot in the, the say and decisions, they still had a heavy hand in developing the multiplayer overall, Mm -hmm. creating multiplayer game types such as Dominion and revamping old game types. They would also develop most of the maps in multiplayer. Certain Affinity would also make all the developers do a mandatory playtest every day for an hour, regardless of their schedule or what they're working on that day. So now let's talk about Sprint. 
Sprint would be added as a base ability in the game with new abilities added in like Shield, Promethean Vision, etc. Like, you know, just a bunch. We, mm-hmm. we list them off in the first part. And some old ones staying in like Cloaking and the Hologram. 343 Industries wanted every ability to have a counter to that ability as well, meaning encounters could be more fair. So, you know, we had that Promethean Shield come up. That was uh, an answer to Armor Lock. Yeah. Because that way you can move around it with that uh, that boost and kill them from there. Mm-hmm. Which I, I do like that idea. You no, know, I, it, I agree. And I think you need to do that instead of – because Armor Lock is just a meme now with it because it's just – it's overpowered. It's ridiculous, and it's it's also so fun to sit in it, mm-hmm. have someone waiting to kill you, and then they die before they can do it. It's yeah. just so satisfying. That's why that's why I love it so much. Oh, it's so great. But yeah, so I'm I'm really glad that they've they've added these in, and I think the balance did work. I love hologram. Mm-hmm. It's still one of the goofiest fun abilities. I love when people get duped and so angry about it, which is me literally every time I see a hologram. Mm-hmm. But beautiful. After the release of Halo Reach, and before the release of Combat Evolved Anniversary. 343 Industries would release an update no longer requiring players to need additional storage to play Reach's online co-op mode and online multiplayer. Regardless of this, Microsoft would state that the Halo 4 multiplayer needs an 8-gig flash drive or built-in hard drive with 8 gigs available to run the multiplayer, but they would also recommend just using a built-in hard drive if they had the option, obviously over a flash drive, because you're going to deal with playing off of that, and it just it would not be fun. Mm-hmm. This was due to the fact that Halo 4 was pushing the 360's hardware to the limits. And and we heard that. Mm, yeah. That there's still so much we can do in the 360. And it's like, well, not when you're 95% maxing it. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's great that you can push it that far. But you have people's systems getting insanely hot, needing all this storage space. And 8 gigs of the time, not a lot of gigs to spare. No. And so having that was was, was pretty big. And it made a lot of players, you know, have to decide, oh, are we going to erase these two games I'm not really playing to just play the multiplayer? Or yeah. how is my 100 gig hard drive going to deal with this? Yeah. And even then, I think they were pushing because this is when Microsoft was really pushing Xbox branded hard drives. Yes. So that's why they're like, oh, ours is green and has a logo on it. And I think there's were Seagate. I, I think say? so. I think we've had this conversation before. I don't think they were Western Digital. I thought they were. I thought that part of was Seagate. I might be wrong, but yeah, you'd have like all those ones that were quote unquote proprietary because they yeah. had put some software on it to work better with it. Yeah. But hey, here's the thing: it works with anyone. Anyone got to format anything. it. Yeah. A few days before the launch of Halo Four, 400 plus players were actually online playing the game. This was due to two things: one. Journalists and reviewers getting early copies of the game, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. And however, pirated versions also being downloaded. 400 plus players was still surprisingly low for a game of Halo's caliber. So I guess they expected like, hey, is, are people not really pirating these weird copies that like the French studio accidentally leaked when they were <laughs> doing the... Le- what is this? We, we will talk about, as I said, I'm really excited to talk about the leaks yes. later on because it's it's such a weird story. It is beautiful. It only took one player 21 days to receive the max rank of 130. It's kind of like the average now for like every game. Someone just plays 23 hours a day. Yeah. And he's like, I, I did it. I, I beat the game. And it's like, that was supposed to take three years. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. <laughs> this player was Deuce, who had also maxed out each specialization. When asked what Deuce would do next now that he's maxed out, he would state that he was going to work on 100% accommodation completion. He also noted that there's a daily XP cap in multiplayer, which most players did not know about. 
and most players would never reach. Yeah, I di- I didn't know that until doing that until reading this and like it's like on the weekends my my buddies and I would play for like eight or nine hours a day and it's yeah. like we just, and we weren't terrible so we were getting plenty of XP so that's crazy. Yeah, it's one of those things where you know like some like him like finds the mode to exploit the most and just go through and you know run with it. Mm, yeah. So now let's move on to new game modes found in Halo 4 never previously seen. So or or some little nuances on some them. nuances, some adaptations, some new tweaks and quirks with it. Yeah. So Regicide. 343's take on free for all, the quote unquote king racks up a bounty for every kill he gets, and once you kill the king, you become the king. And you get a larger bounty like as that goes on, right? Because mm-hmm. the king yeah. starts at is it like ten? points you get for killing the king and then it's like 15 20 25 mm-hmm. i it's, think it's, it's 10 or 100 i can't remember it's probably 10 I, I, either way whatever the, the increment is it's it's an increment of a thing with a zero or two <laughs> zeros and goes up yeah depending on your, your cycle that you set mm-hmm. then we have infinity slayer so standard slayer but players work towards an ordinance weapons drop Players would also be nicely rewarded for all medals earned during this mode. And fun fact, the ordnance drops can kill players. Yeah, it's kind of like if you call it Titan in, in Titanfall into someone. Mm-hmm. Mm, that was That was beautiful. satisfying because that was not an easy feat. No. So now we also have Capture the Flag. So the carrier's HUD will now show them where the delivery point is. And the player can now use a pistol while carrying the flag. Anyone who helps the flag carrier driving them around or defending them mm. will also get points. That was nice. Yeah, I love seeing the adaptation of the pistol because mm. I know a lot of games still try to keep the capture the flag thing where you can't do anything. You might be to use the flag melee or you have to drop it. But I thought it was just a, a welcome thing, especially if you are playing with randos or something and they're just not working with you and you have the flag. Yeah. You at least have some line of defense if mm-hmm. you're kind of playing solo. And if, you, if you're a good enough player... That pistol is all you will need. Mm-hmm. So now we also have Dominion. This game type combines big team battle and objective games, adding in bases that can be beefed up over time. These bases have additional shields and even AI turrets that will attack the enemy team. This game type was almost cut entirely due to the original build of the game being a broken mess. I, I can see that. Like trying to balance that out because it's still not balanced, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I, yeah. know, I know a couple of the maps that we play on regularly with it. If you take a center point, you're set. Yeah, and it's just like also like which which side of the map are you spawning on? Yeah, like, but I, I do love that they took kind of the battlefront like attempt with it, or like pretty much any game that you're capturing bases. But this reminds me a lot more of Battlefront. Yeah, and like instead of like summoning heroes, you're kind of building up your base and using those points towards it. So it's definitely a welcomed game mode, and I think it mm-hmm. definitely helped change up a little bit of that landscape, but still kind of skewed depending on like you said where you spawn. Yeah. And, and kind of what, what side you're taking. Well, when we played this, I don't think 343 really pushed the idea of it being more objective-based and beefing up the the base. Instead, it was just we were just fighting and killing people. We were really trying to, to get the AI turrets on or anything mm-hmm. like that. But now we also have Flood. We did a whole episode about all the Flood game modes, but, you know, this one is the first time that we see spartans how they would supposedly look if they got turned into the flood which i appreciate and i hate that they've taken out of five Mm -hmm. i thought it was just so neat to be able to see that and and just have an actual quote-unquote scary zombie mode i I guess to where it's not just a green dude Mm -hmm. or a green dinosaur 
trying to chase you down for anything. It's now like a cool zombified aspect to it. So they did bring it back for 2A, though. Okay, yes, they did bring it back for two anniversary, but I'm talking like specifically for like five. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like like they, out of their core games they're going through, they've kind of taken that out. So unfortunately took it out of their core series, I guess to kind of still go with the lore of there's no flood within five and they're trying to... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to be in the minds of anyone three four three who actually knows the logic or reasoning behind the do's or don'ts. Yeah. Now moving on, we have Oddball. So three four three Industries would add a new point system to this game. Players can now get additional points for passing, catching, and intercepting the ball. So the fact that they're now you can throw it and catch it, yes. I think, was awesome. Totally and, agree. And then finally, we have Extraction. Five versus five mode, both teams must extract assets from various sites on the map. And keep in mind that there's still standard Slayer and all those other ones, but we're just, you know, really adding in the ones that were nuanced or new entirely. And I think what I really love, what 343, I guess certain affinity specifically, did with Oddball was create Ricochet, uh, which was kind of a subset that later became a portion of its own game mode you could pick from on certain maps. And it was. I guess a mixture of like basketball slash like scoring goals because you basically had to get the ball and then take it to your opponent's side. And if you ran it in, you got points. And if you threw mm-hmm. it, you got less points, but still got points. So I, I think that's just a really cool aspect that I definitely enjoy playing. Yeah. But interestingly enough, Halo 4 actually didn't launch with a competitive skill ranking since 343 Industries didn't have time to implement it into the multiplayer, which is, again, that's literally everything. But in April of 2013, they would update the game with competitive skill ranking. Mm-hmm. In each game type, a player would earn a skill rank of 1 to 50. 343 Industries would also update the multiplayer with a weapons tuning patch. And this would make the BR a 4 burst shot now. So kind of weird. Take less than 3 shots to kill an opponent. But they would reduce auto-aim the more you fired. Sure. The chain gun damage on the Warthog and the Mantis were also increased by 35%. Player movement speed was increased by 10%. Rate of fire for the light rifle would be increased when using the scope, and the carbine is now a seven-shot kill. Mm -hmm. So to help promote this, 343 Industries would bring in Tashi or Tashi Gaff, Hasendiak, Mason Neighbor Cobb, Eric Ghostiami Hewitt, Dan Greenskull Hamill, Nick Crazy by Default Evans, and Tyler Ninja Blevins. Blevins to test out the new weapon tuning. Oh, what? Oh, Ninja. Man, we're dating this because this dude was still wearing bow ties and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now he's just wearing hair. <laughs> three for Three Industries would also work with GriffBallHub.com to reinvent the classic game type for esports and give the players the ability to throw the ball like oddball. So making it not just like a running and dropping it game. Mm-hmm. It's like you can actually like get competitive, do some skills, run some plays, similar to basketball. Yeah. And Frank O'Connor had this to say about it. Quote, Halo 4 is funny because over the years, its reception has got better. As people have become (laughs) used to its intricacies and nuance. But we saw a lot of outright rejection of some of its multiplayer stuff, which we fixed in content updates after the fact. So, yeah, we're seeing them do, you know, work with them to create a better oddball, or sorry, to create a better... Griffball experience to create yeah. like so they they did add stuff to it which you have to commend and appreciate yeah. from a developer 
he's tooting his own horn a lot there, but well, also he's literally giving them what he took away. He's yes. like, oh, we're taking this stuff away, and they're like, what the hell, dude? And he's like, okay, you can have it back. Look how innovative we are. Yeah. What? And it's like, no, you you tweak things that were either already in there or fans had already been asking for, and you yeah. applied it. These are not your ideas. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Moving on. Oh well. Even though Halo Four launched with over a million more online players than Halo Reach. 18 weeks after the release of Halo 4, the online player count would drop lower than Halo Reach's player count 18 weeks after its launch. Raptor, which is a multiplayer tracking website, would show up to 26 weeks post-launch and showed that the player count was lower than Reach's at 26 weeks as well. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, they, they saved it with Halo 5, but Halo 4, they made too many drastic changes. And, you know, as much as people want to say whether or not they liked it, they were having less and less players than Reach was. Yeah, and, and I think, as we've talked about, I think they took on way too much and tried to produce way too much with this first single game. Like, mm-hmm. not, yeah. we're not talking about Reach or any, or work on, you know, CE Anniversary, but their first sole game. And they're like, we are esports, plus we're going to be canonical with our hardcore fans, plus we want new fans to play, plus we want to redo this thing, plus we're going to have this, plus we should just really not step on Bungie's toes, plus we're not Bungie. Yeah, And it's like, okay, you tried to wrap all that up in one, and you unfortunately fell short on most of it. Exactly. And to wrap up this portion, 343 Industries would also award players with a lifelong ban for making sexist comments towards women on the online servers. Because you got to think, you know, head of the studios and producers and everything, we have a lot more women coming in who are seeing this, and now it's starting to be addressed more and more. And it needs to be. You're seeing the dichotomy change. It's predominantly been a male activity of playing games yeah but the landscape has changed my i know my sisters grew up with playing them with me so it's you're having a whole thing change and to have the, these garbage incel humans put other people down is very frustrating so i'm really yeah. glad that companies are taking stands in those mm-hmm. things it's you know not every company is doing it and i think it needs to be addressed more yeah. but it's great to see that they, they did take precautions they did take steps towards it and and tried to make a better community yeah and now we'll take a look at the armor of halo 4 343 industries would hit the ground running with their new spartan 4s and their armor offering more variants than ever in any previous halo game which is really cool i know Mm -hmm. one thing that people asked for time and time again is a minute thing but it's like can we get a little bit more of the armor customization yeah we're seeing so much more other games that are able to do this and, you know, we don't want to change Chief's look too much with these armor sets, but let's have something. So whenever yeah. they're like, oh, you're a Spartan 4 actually in these armors and we can basically make them what it look however we want. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you get some really cool ones and to kind of go to the list for you. I'll just go through them. Um, we'll jump in with, with some chimey stuff with it. But you get an Air Assault, Aviator, CIO, Commando, Defender, EOD, which stands for Eggs on Dad's. Yes. Uh, so if anyone uses eggs on dad's armor, there you go. There you go. The enforcer, the eggs very average, the EVA, mm-hmm. uh, the gunger, 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 the huzzup, the infiltrator, the mark very ill, or the mark six, as some might say, <laughs> the oceanic, orbital, protector, raider, ranger, recon, recruit, recruit, ugh, recruit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Scout, soldier, vanguard, venator, 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 ventilator. Sure, the ventilator, <laughs> the war master, the warrior, the wet work, or the wet boy, or the assassin, 
the operator, Pioneer Pathfinder. Oh, they stole that from uh, Apex. Hmm. How dare they? Interesting. How dare they? They knew they were going to create that character. <laughs> and the engineer. They did the specializations armor, which was the stalker, rogue, tracker, deadeye. They stole that. The locust, scanner, strider, and the photus. Like president of the United States, but it's a... I, forger. Forger of the United States, yeah. yeah. Farmer. Farmer of the United yes. States. Like, not like the FFA. That's different. No, 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 no. FFA doesn't stand for Future Farmers of America anymore. It's just FFA. It just stands for few. <laughs> there is a secret armor set available through codes that players could discover through Halo forums and completing certain missions of Spartan Ops. I'm going to tell you right now, I tried to dig through some forums. I was like, no. The, the, just to find forums from eight years ago is not fun. No, and, and to try and dig through and see like what post it actually was mm-hmm. or like... This guy made 700 posts, and every 30-second post was a letter of yeah. the armor, and you had to, like, add up all of his posts. So, yeah, I don't even know what it was, so sorry, folks, if you are dying to know what it was. Go, I'm not going to tell you because I don't know. Go do it for us. Go do it for us and <laughs> let us know. <laughs> not doing that. <laughs> but then, you know, really quick, let's touch on Spartan Ops because it was part of the multiplayer. So Spartan Ops would continue the story of the UNSC struggle of power over the planet Requiem with the Covenant. Each week, a new chapter would be released with five missions, totaling 10 chapters, and the first chapter was available day one of launch, and all 10 chapters were free, and all progress from this mode would carry over to multiplayer and multiplayer to this. So I'm glad they released it for free. I'm glad it wasn't a DLC bundle. It's like mm-hmm. 20 bucks type thing. So I would say, you know, as, as much as I really don't like playing it by myself, it's a welcomed mode in my eyes. Yeah, and I mean... and well, like we'll get into it more later, but it definitely I I played every episode. Mm-hmm. I waited and when they released, I played them quickly because yeah. I was excited to. Yeah. And so it's 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 been a it's been a wild ride. So let's jump over to the maps. Mm-hmm. One of 343's biggest goals was to make more vehicle friendly maps than any other previous game. We're finally getting in and getting a lot more of the larger maps that I know a lot of players wanted. Mm-hmm. The other games had some beautiful close combat stuff like Lockout, one yeah. of my favorite maps of all time. But when it came to larger vehicle maps, it almost lacked most of it. It's kind of felt like, here's big sandbox, go drive. Yeah. And, and I'm going to say this because I think I brought it up at Game Night a few weeks ago. I was talking to Eric Royo recently, and like he, he randomly brought up how... For Halo 3, you know how like how much Easter eggs we were talking about mm-hmm. in that episode? It could have been its own episode. He said that a lot of those were done without any producer's knowledge or anything mm-hmm. like that. All the developers just randomly put that stuff in. But when you have a game like Halo 4, they don't have any like, literally none of these Easter eggs because I don't think they had the time to do it. No, and in, in my opinion, too, it's more corporate Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at this point, it's, you know, this this studio was created to do this. These are all, by default, these are all new hires, so they don't want to, you know, screw it up versus you have, you know, 10-year bungee veterans at that point who are just trying to have fun. So I will say that these, and this is just my opinion coming in, a lot of these maps, a lot, not all, but a lot, kind of do lack some kind of personality. Yes, I can see that. And to start, we have Abandon on the remote world of Erebus 7. At the very edge of human-occupied space, an Oni research facility, which was once teeming with researchers, now lies eerily vacant. Although the hostility of this world has been initially considered by its team leaders, it is tragically clear that a great many things had simply not been taken into account. What are those things? 
I don't know. Things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this map is recommended for 4 to 12 players. Kind of your your small, medium. Mm-hmm. and this, medium. Your medium maps. My shirt size, essentially. Yes. This map recommends Slayer, Oddball, Capture the Flag, Flood, and Regicide game types. And to give you an idea, like, the setting is in a jungle with the structure containing two containers with unknown aliens inside of them. Yeah, I think it's hinted at like this. It's like some kind of flood experimentation. Yeah, it's an Oni research thing. facility that, oh no, things got out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just to clarify, we're covering the base maps first, and then we'll go into D- DLC maps exactly. afterwards. Yeah, so next we have Adrift. Although this CAA mining vessel was refitted as an ordnance transport, damage sustained during the Battle of Colo has condemned it to an inescapable slide down the gravity well of a gas giant. On board, its automated systems continue unabated, their operations executed in eerie futility as they drift ever closer to destruction. Boom. Bigger medium guy, more medium, 4 to 14 players. It's it's almost going to, to a smarge. Smart, almost to a smarge. We're not yeah. a medium, but it's kind of that weird in between of small and large. We yeah. don't know. But this map also recommends Slayer, Capture the Flag, Regicide, and King of the Hill game types. So it's a small symmetrical map surrounding the construction of a mantis. Mm-hmm. And and maybe I'm crazy. Is the mantis of the map seem bigger than a regular one? Is 100%. This like it's like granddaddy it, mantis? Yeah, this is Papa Manti. And they're, they're, they're working around them. <laughs> Papa Manti. I love it. Good old Papa Manzi. <laughs> Next, we have Complex. With the presence of numerous hostile entities on Requiem, Oni rigidly enforces a persistent field resilience mandate requiring that all science detachments, one, maintain on-site weapon caches, two, optimize the site's layout to meet Oni's spec for defensive emergencies, and three, retain an escort of well-trained military personnel. So you guys are going to be able to read the flavor text of these maps at the next party you go to. You're going to be the life of the party. That's true. You're like, you guys are playing Complex? It's an Oni facility where they really put the rules to effect. I will say, for these base maps, they did put a lot into the flavor text. We want, They kind of dial back later, but this flavor text is fun. It's good. And, and Bungie, to me, seemed more like goofy and sometimes described it. Mm-hmm. This is much more of like really cool, like, I guess, kind of like, hey, guys. It is canon, so here's some more info. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is a this is a a, a smarge. It's recommended six to sixteen. It might even be a a malarge, marge, M- a marge. It's it's, it's a, a marge, marge map. It's a marge map. <laughs> so they recommend CTF, Oddball, Big Team Slayer, and Regicide. Uh, yeah, this is an asymmetrical mid-sized map. That's a lie. It's a large. It's a marge. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> you're wrong. Actually, you know, it's a hub. Or is the hub for the Spartan War games. Yeah. Um, so it's canon, canon, canon. So it's like canon within canon. You're like <laughs> digitally doing your own hub, which is interesting. Yeah. So next on the list, we have Exile. Miraculously, the survivors of the UNSC's Diadochi's violent crash managed to not only recover provisions from the vessel's debris field, but also use it as a makeshift shelter for several years. When rescue and recovery teams finally arrived, they were surprised to discover a healthy, burgeoning community thriving within the ship's remain. So just leave them be. They're How exi- about that? They're exiles. They're in the name. It's right in the name. Believe it or not, people don't do well the bigger the group gets. It's true. So just let them be. But yeah, so uh, a Marge map, 8, I'd say, eight uh, to we're, 16. We're at a large now. That's a large okay, map. Okay, okay. That's a large map. 
large, 8 to 16, recommends Slayer, Dominion, and Capture the Flag game types. And this map is set at the crash site of the UNSC Diadochi. As I said, there's not a lot going on with these maps, as I said. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're well done, in my opinion. And I love the art style for a lot of them. But as far as, like you said, what breath of life is given to them that's, mm-hmm. like, fun, it's, it's – yeah there but there's no personal touch and the issue too is they can just go oh it's a war game it's all simulated yeah but i will say that halo 4 has probably some of if not the most beautiful skyboxes in the multiplayer 100 they killed it with that i'll give them that mm-hmm. but only that <laughs> next up we have erosion with hundreds and i'm talking about hundreds of human colonies now raised in the wake of the covenant war The UNSC had dispatched large numbers of advanced pioneer groups to survey potential new worlds. The discovery of Iromon X4905 was considered lucky, but concerns remain about the moon's structural integrity. Uh Uh-oh. This is small. I mean, it's it's getting to a medium, but... Two to twelve? That's a stretch. Dude, yeah, I don't know. Like where the they're like two people can do this, but also twelve, which is almost the max players. Yeah, so I'm like eh. arena style, I guess. Yeah. It's small. And it recommends flood and griff ball, so it's much more of that like enclosed space, mm-hmm. having some fun with it. Um and obviously this was designed as a forge canvas. Yep. So especially you got to get that weird mid-range mm-hmm. arena style. And I guess it's where you can get the 12 if you start building a lot of stuff out. But mm-hmm. as far as like if you just look at the base map, it's a, it's a small. Yeah. So now moving on to Haven. Resting high above Requiem's surface, harmonic resonance platforms appear to facilitate the monitoring and management of Shield World's solar preservation system. That was a mouthful. These elaborate machines enable artificial planets to support their immense populations of indigenous life. So this is definitely a medium-ish, more medium than small, 4 to 12, Slayer, Oddball, and Regicide game types. And so it is set in the skies of Requiem, Mm -hmm. and this circular map contains multiple levels and man cannons. And this map is the scene in Halo 4 campaign where Chief talks to the librarian. Yep. So might as well. And I like seeing that kind of stuff where they reuse those assets when you don't realize it. Like, I didn't realize that until I was researching for this episode. So I love when they do stuff like that. It's it's neat. And and it's kind of like what they did in Reach with the firefight maps, incorporating them into what the campaign stuff is. So I always appreciate when assets are kind of not overused, but used again to make a point and just be really cool. Mm-hmm. Next, we have Impact. This observation outpost was established to examine the site of a spectacular spectacularly violent meteor collision recorded by an Oni patrol drone in 2547. When researchers first arrived, they were startled to find a non-native fragment of the impacting agent had actually survived and was of unknown alien origin. Most recently, interest in the site has grown as the fragment has proven to have originated from long before the earliest of known forerunner artifacts. Okay, some of these are kind of boring. You're trying to Impact. you're trying to make it interesting with the the safari British guy, <laughs> but I 
I'm, I'm losing may, my interest. As you may know, <laughs> this map is recommended for two to twelve players because it's another forge map. <laughs> but yeah, you play pretty much whatever you want here. It's CTF Slayer. It's another forge template map. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of got that square box feel to it with some aspects of it. And it's the one in space too, so it's a little more levelly, but. Uh, we'll talk about Forge, but I feel like they missed the map on a lot of these. No pun intended, but... <laughs> <laughs> so now we have Longbow. The frigid climate and unique gravitational conditions of Concord's northern polar region provide an optimal perch for Longbow Station channel-based mass driver. Before the Covenant War, the UEG launched deep in-space monitoring relays, and from here in an effort to study far-flung star systems. Mm-hmm. So six to sixteen players, so a little chunkier map. That's Ca- large. Yeah, capture the flag, Dominion, King of the Hill, and Team Slayer game types. And so this map was a lot of these were made by all the ones that we have covered for the most part have been made by certain affinity. Mm-hmm. So unless we specify otherwise, like this map, yeah, they were made by certain affinity. This one was actually made by three four three industries, and it's a symmetrical map set on a human mass driver. Station in Concord. Yeah, named after the grapes. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have Meltdown. While most Forerunner technology appears to support safe usage over immense passages of time, the failure of specific systems can cause a cascading effect which dramatically impacts a site's foundational composition. This frigid moon's icy conditions once served to control a Forerunner reactor's intense heat, but those days, but those days are now long. Gone. <laughs> this map's as the Marge, six to sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking about Dominion, Big Team Slayer, because just the layout of it, and it's set in the outskirts of the Forerunner reactor, which is very similar to CE's ice fields. Yeah, it's just a cold place. Yeah. So moving on, we have Assassin's Creed Ragnarok, or just more known so as Ragnarok for you Halo fans, or also known as Valhalla, <laughs> the exact same map. <laughs> So some scientists believe that Forerunners placed Aspire beacons within deep chasms to protect them from off-world debris and other external threats, while others believe they used steep environments' natural harmonics to amplify signals when firing deep into space. Six to 16 players capture the flag. That's the Marge. King of the Hill and big Team Slayer game types. And, you know, it's a remake of Valhalla. We all know this because this map has to make its way in every time because mm-hmm. I think that's actually canon that this design is on every kind of foreign structure. Yes. But, you know, it was fine-tuned for players' abilities like, you know, the jetpack. Yeah, because they also added the Mantis in, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which, is definitely, which is definitely, I would say, I, I did enjoy that aspect of mm-hmm. it. Uh, and it definitely made it fun to be able to play around with it. Yeah, and it was featured in Spartan Ops because that was like a majority of multiplayer maps for the first half of Spartan Ops mm-hmm. until they kind of got it together. No, ooh, here we go. Next, we have Ravine. When Oni dispatched its first experiment. Expeditionary group to this sector. It was believed that these impressive citadels were individual const- were individual constructs, strategically organized to protect this portion of Requiem. Teams on the ground now believe that they are actually the ramparts and battlements of an impossibly large structure below the surface of the sea. And uh, yeah, we got a we got a, a a small to medium. It's more like a small. A small map, because um, once again, you're talking about 
another forge aspect map. So your game your game types we're looking at Dominion, Team Slayer, Oddball, Flood. You know, play whatever you want. You should do whatever you do want. Whatever you want, you want to do big do. team battle, you do it. You do BTB on this. We're fine. And a little, little tidbit for you. The reflections that you see in the foreigner structure are actually like the reflections of Savo Highway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But now we have Solace. According to data retrieved from these installations, foreigner stellar engineers, colloquially dubbed plasma jockeys, were capable of suspending the perilous death of certain stars. Due to tremendous volumes of energy involved in this process, such endeavors were rarely entertained, much less executed. So small map, this two is to definitely eight. small, yeah. Uh, and, you know, small symmetrical map is located on an unknown forerunner structure with two bases on the opposite side of the map. And it, you know, we can play Flood, Capture the Flag, Team Slayer, and Oddball game types. And finally, for our OG maps of the game, mm-hmm. we have Vortex. The forerunner structures, which occupy Requiem's equilateral caverns, appear to generate power by harnessing its violent squalls. On-site personnel believe that a full understanding of such a technology would offer the UEG substantial amounts of affordable, clean energy. Nevertheless, its internal mechanisms remain enigmatic. That is a novel of flavor text. Thank you. <laughs> I did it very well. We got a we got a Marge. Map recommends Dominion Big BTB, um, and this is also featured in Spartanovs. Yep. So we saw it around there, and it's located on Requiem within a central forerunner structure. All right. Now that we have the base maps out of the way, we're going on to DLC. Mm-hmm. But of course, they would leak. Because shortly after the release of the game, the Crimson, Majestic, and Castle map packs, the the, the date for um, the, releases. The, the releases, would leak on HaloConsole.com through an image of, it was a screenshot of a German Google dashboard ad. Yeah, so, so basically it was unfortunately leaked with whoever put the AdSense up to like get stuff rolling. It was like, mm-hmm. oops, too early. Yeah, they kind of set the date, you know, it should have set the date for next week. But and also it could have just been some kind of translation issue or something like that because it was from, I think, the German sector of Microsoft or something like that. And they could have got the dates wrong because mm-hmm. we use month, date, year. Everyone mm-hmm. else uses day, month, year. Yeah. Uh, where the fuck are we at? Crimson, you started off. So first, we're going to cover the Crimson Map Packs. This map pack would include eight new achievements revealed by 343 Industries days before its launch. The DLC would be released December 10th, 2012, and would cost 800 Microsoft points. And it would cost 800 Microsoft points. Some users would have issues with downloading the map pack for free if they had bought the limited edition of Halo 4 or purchased the map pass. So... You know, a lot of these map passes you can get through the map pass or if you had uh, gotten Halo 4, the limited or special edition, mm-hmm. whatever it's called. So players would actually start to exploit this because, you know, players who had kind of paid for it were having issues. Mm-hmm. So other players had figured out a way to actually get the map pack for free. Or this would lead to partial bans to anyone who had, hadn't purchased the map pack somehow. Yeah, and, and it would also unfortunately ban players who did. Yeah. So, so 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 sometimes it's like your band's like, no, no, I actually paid for this. Ah, what are you doing? Why? Yeah, but unfortunately, not unfortunately, I guess, unfortunately for everybody else, Microsoft yeah. would eventually patch that bug. Yeah. So let's start it off with the first map on here, Harvest. Similar to those found on the agrarian worlds, this impressive tether network was used to ferry resources off planet. 
So four to eight players. So that's that's a meaty. That's a meaty. Uh, this that's ma- a small. That's a small. Small. Smallish. Uh, this this map recommends Slayer, Capture the Flag, and King of the Hill game types. And what more is there to say than it is on Harvest? Oh boy. Oh boy. But <laughs> and you see what I mean already? That flavor text. Small. Yeah, they they didn't dive too deep because we see we see we start to see the the shrink of it, and it's it's DLC. They're like, eh. <laughs> they're a DLC. Like we're done writing this. Oh yeah. Because you see that next on Shatter. Mm-hmm. Excessive volcanic activity may bring an end to the materials group mining operation. Tri-City 4's moon. So it's just... Okay. I mean, it's a statement. <laughs> that's like a that's like a water break statement. That's like a that's like a ticker tape. You see at the bottom, like a news organization? Yeah, like, yeah. oh, they're going to end their, their mining operation. You go, okay. Okay. Uh, and this is definitely um, a schmall, a schmeedy, or a schmarge. I mean, it's getting there because it's 2 to 12, which I don't understand like that logic at all but anyway you're looking at ctf slayer flood and this symmetrical map is an observation outpost created to investigate a meteor crash which is speculated to contain precursor artifacts and then unfortunately volcano erupts (laughs) and moving on from that we have wreckage one of many attempts to contain the flood line installations were designed to viciously force down any ships within range so 6 to 16 Eh, a marge, uh, marge, marge, and you know, you can play capture the flag, big team slayer, and king of the hill game types on there. And this map is set on the line installation nine through twelve of the Maganaut line in the middle of a large body of water. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically, it's an anti-flood facility that went wrong because they all do in the end. You can't, you can't outdo the flood. It's true. Next, we have the Majestic Map Pack. Certain Affinity would develop the second map pack for Halo 4. Surprise, surprise, obviously, they're running all this for them. Mm-hmm. This map pack would contain the game type Infinity Rumble. So that's where we first get to see it. Mm-hmm. It would also come with two new playlists, Majestic Free-for-All DLC for eight players and Majestic Team DLC for four. Finally, the new map pack would come with 10 new achievements for a total of 250 gamer score, costing 800 Microsoft points. If one had bought the Halo 4 Limited Edition or the War Games Map Pass, they would receive the Majestic and Crimson Map Packs, like we said, for free, free of exploits. Mm -hmm. When it came to developing the Map Pack, Certain Affinity would actually design the concepts and layouts of the maps. Certain Affinity and 343, however, would then playtest the maps together, with 343 Industries giving feedback on changes and Certain Affinity going back to make them. Mike Klopper described this process like playing jazz, bouncing ideas off one another. Yeah, Free phone. Even though, you know, Matt Hoberman was kind of like, uh, this wasn't fun. Yeah. Because they didn't have a lot of input, really. Well, you're right. I mean, they're, they're, do you guys want this map? No, it sucks. Okay, well, we don't really know what your vibe is for this Halo because we didn't do anything on it. Yeah, and they're, and they're changing, you mm-hmm. know, daily, as we said. And uh, this map pack was released on February 25th, 2013, with your first map being Landfall Tributes. Capital served as a key battleground against the Covenant's brutal attack on this system. And you're looking at Slayer, SWAT, Team Dubs, and Extraction, because this is a pretty smaller map Mm -hmm. um, to play on. Fun one, though. Uh, And the map is actually set during the Human Covenant War of 2552. It's in the midst of a Covenant attack on a civilian craft. And fun fact, there's forklifts, but they're not drivable. Yep, so you can put them in through Forge, but you cannot drive them Sucks to suck, move on. Sometimes. Oh, wait, I think I forgot to to put that in cut material. There you go. New the, cut, <laughs> cut material. No more forklift. Here's an exclusive days. that no one knew before. The forklift was cut. Yeah, all the vehicles were cut that were like 
human. Yeah, yeah, like the trucks and all that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot, three four three. <laughs> Moving on though, we have now Monolith. This monument and many like it were built by the forerunners after their final victory over the ancient humans. Uh, so this map recommends eight to sixteen players, so medium. It's medium. It's a marge. Marge. Sixteen. It's a medium max. marge. That's a and then this map recommends Slayer, Capture the Flag, SWAT, Regicide, Team Doubles, and King of the Hill game Team types. Dubbies. And it is actually a monument built by the forerunners for the warrior servants who did fi- fight in that war. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's interesting, but at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, you defeated us. You're our oppressors. Now we're just here. Yeah. This is awkward. Ooh. And our final one of this map pack is Skyline. The rooftop terrain on this new space tether construction site is an ideal training environment for close quarters infantry combat. You guys determine what my accents are because I've just lost it. You sounded like Mr. Bean in Rat Race. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Mr. Bean and Dracula. <laughs> this map recommends 4 to 12, so you're looking at a schmeedy. This map recommends Slayer, CTF, SWAT, Regicide, and what else you want to play. It's set in 512 Area A06 of Nova Austin Station, where a space elevator is under construction. Mm-hmm. But really quick, we do have a free DLC, which was Forge Island. So the mm-hmm. map was first revealed at PAX 2013 and would go live March 29th, 2013 for free. The map would feature three giant flat islands for the players to create on, you know, it had one large, one medium, one small. And it was kind of, you know, based off of Halo Reach's Forge World. Mm -hmm. But moving on from that, you just had to throw that in there really quick. Now we have the Castle Map Pack. So Certain Affinity wanted to make these maps much larger than any maps that they were, you know, developing for the Majestic Map Mm -hmm. Pack. And, you know, as we said, 343 Industries wanted more maps that were more suitable for vehicles. Mm -hmm. So thus, that's what 343, or that's what Certain Affinity did. So 343 Industries would let fans play on the maps a month early at PAX East. And if players were to receive the rank of 35 or higher on a Castle Team DLC playlist, they would receive a special shirt for their Xbox Live avatar. Fun stuff. Just so you all know, (laughs) the map pack was released April 8th, 2013. And Mm -hmm. now let's start with the first map, Daybreak. Although it is currently being used as a military staging ground, this fertile world will one day be colonized. So this is a marge, 6 to 18. I, they're all going to be marges. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, 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 <laughs> I mean yeah. yeah, they're made to be yeah. large for it, but they're kind of like trying to be like, okay, we want to balance it with smaller teams mm-hmm. or just big old big team battles with vehicles. Yep. Uh, you know, capture the flag, king of the hill, and big team slayer can't all be played on this map, and it's an asymmetrical design to bases on opposite sides. So it really works for the objective-based game types. Yep. Next, we have outcast dissident strongholds such as this one helped foment several anti-centralization movements. So once again, it's six to sixteen. It's a marge, uh, and it recommends Dominium, CTF, BTB, and plenty of others. And it takes place at an insurrectionist hideout with two bases on the opposing sides. So kind of like your Blood Gulch layout Mm -hmm. set up for it. Mm, Yeah. And finally, to wrap up the castle map pack, we have Perdition. Citywide evacuation orders have confirmed that the unstable thermal reactor cannot be contained. Uh Uh-oh. Again, that's kind of just like a a water break talk kind of thing. Water cooler. But oh well. So... Marge, six to mm-hmm. 16 players as we know, 
you know, we can also play Dominion, Capture the Flag, and Big Team Slayer game types on this map. And it's I mean, the a lot of these the flavor text really speaks for the map. It's in the midst of a thermal thermonuclear meltdown in Pilvarus, which is you know it's an asymmetrical map that serves as uh, actually a close quarters combat arena. Yeah, so they did pretty well with this this map pack and trying to break it up and add some more to it. And our next map pack and our final one is Bullseye Map Pack. So this map pack was this map pack was available August twentieth, twenty thirteen, and would cost four hundred eighty Microsoft points. So you're saving some kaching. There. <laughs> you're saving those three hundred and twenty points. Ooh. Drinks are on you tonight. That's what I'm talking about. Virtually, it also came <laughs> with a new set of armor. Uh, our first map we had was Pitfall. Some UNSC combat facilities have been integrated into the war games due to their extraordinary tactical utility. <laughs> and this map recommends four to eight. I'm going to say it, that's a true. That's a true medium. Medium. That's, that's a, a true, true medium. That's a true medium. That's like a guild in it. Fits well. Mm-hmm. And recommends Slayer, CTF, and Ricochet. Um, and it is a remake of the pit from Halo 3. So, yeah, if you remember the pit, kind of a U shape, I guess you could say, is the best way to mm-hmm. kind of describe Horseshoe. it. Horseshoe. Horseshoe with a little little back alley in the back. Pretty fun map. So to wrap up the maps, we have Vertigo. Due to its volatile weather conditions, isolated research centers sparsely populate this world's incredibly vast oceans. Mm-hmm. So this is more of a uh, small medium, 8 to 10. And, you know, the map prefers that you play Slayer and Extraction game types on it. And it is set in a UNSC facility, and it's an asymmetrical map that... You know, players can battle on both in and outdoors. So it's mm. one of those maps where a lot of action can go on a, a lot of places, which is fun. Because I like those maps where, you know, the close quarters combat is inside and then things open up. You should have a whole vehicle thing going outside. Yeah, it mm-hmm. makes it really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that being said, now let's talk about esports or lack thereof, because this is actually a kind of a, a shorter esports section. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 343 Industries early on wanted to embrace esports in Halo 4 giving professional players, quote, scaffolding that they can build off of. So by the time of Halo 4, esports and Halo was in an odd place. MLG was looking beyond Halo, and other federations like AGL and UGC were coming in to give a new platform to professional esports players. With Halo 4, though, Ordnance drops an unlockable progression for different passive abilities would kind of change things up a lot more than they thought. Descoping was also taken out. So if a player was shot while using the scope, they would still keep using the scope. They weren't bounced out of it, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a big deal. So by this point, competitive play in Halo was kind of a shadow of its former self with, you know, Reach really coming in and changing things. And again, with Halo 4. So really, ordinance drops would change the tide of a match sometimes, really. It's it's true. I mean, and and you're trying to keep everything as balanced as possible, especially when esports are involved Mm -hmm. and that no team should truly have the upper hand except for, like, player picks and skill base. Mm-hmm. And now when it comes to luck or buildup of using certain ordinances and power yeah. weapons. Yeah. So championships were starting to lose traction, and 343 Industries were even paying some pro players just to build the hype for the game, but it didn't work as well as they'd like. The tournament scene was, like, at an all-time low, basically, at this point for Halo 4 and just Halo in general. But they would still have some decent cash flows here and there. The biggest championship to come from Halo 4 esports scene would be the Halo 4 Global Championships. 
qualifications for this tournament would take place at the Rooster Teeth Expo July 5th, 2013, and on Xbox Live July 15th, 2013. The finals were held August 31st, 2013 to September 1st, 2013. And it would have $500,000 in prizes that would be available with a grand singular prize of $200,000 that would be awarded to the first place winner. And overall, 140 players participated in this event. Mm -hmm. Now, I kind of want to, because this was kind of like the highlight of it, and that was really it. I want to wrap this all up with a quote from Ricky Luxthal, Spanish. Halo 4 made me get a job. So he he was a pro pro player at the time but clearly the scene just kind of died out yeah and and that was that also shout out to brisket for informing me about esports with halo in general because i don't know any of this jib jab <laughs> and finally let's talk about file share for literally one sentence the halo 4 file share was made available february 27th 2013 on halo waypoint Yeah, so you'd be able to get your clips uploaded, share them, do all your little fun things you want to do. Didn't come with launch, though. Whatever, I'm over it. (laughs) Moving on to Forge, 343 Industries would continue Halo tradition and add their take on Forge into Halo 4. It was announced July 7th, 2012, that Certain Affinity would be assisting 343 Industries with the development of Forge for Halo 4 at RTX. Their goal was to decrease the build time for players, along with making Forge a lot more approachable for players who had never touched it before. They threw that mentality out in Halo 5. They said it didn't work for 4. Let's make 5 very complicated. And that's what people wanted. Exactly. They did this through several innovations, such as dynamic lighting, magnet snap mechanics, so you can kind of put stuff in there and like snap to like, you know, 90 degree or wherever you're trying to put it, it would, it would, mm-hmm. it works really well for that. Uh, trait zones, so designated areas where the physical properties of Spartans would change, such as shields and health, movement and player abilities, a new lighting system, and a duplicate object tool, finally. All improvements Certain Affinity made to Forge was from player feedback from 3 and Reach. They also developed all the Forge maps. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Certain Affinity would actually bring in popular Forge content creators from the Halo community to get their feedback on the Halo 4 Forge system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it failed, I think, just what what they had for what we could use to build things was just wasn't fun. And also they didn't have Forge World. They had Forge Island. Well, and that's it, too, is it felt so much more like, OK, I'm putting things in a map instead of I'm building content mm-hmm. within this map that changes it entirely. Yeah, because, I mean, who talks about the Halo 4 custom games? Yeah. No, we talk about Halo 3, Reach, and 5. Mm-hmm. So they kind of missed the mark on it. They, they did approve upon it tremendously in 5. But yes. that's for another episode. So now, as always, my favorite section of these games are the music section. And now we're finally here. So let's talk about Halo 4's soundtrack. So early on in developing ideas for the soundtrack, audio director Satoru Tajima made a list of 53 composers that he wanted to work with on the soundtrack. 343 Industries didn't want to just find a composer that would imitate Marty's older soundtracks. Instead, they wanted someone who would really nuance it, just basically go their own direction. Never reference the old stuff. They just wanted something new. They eventually decided on Neil David, who was best known for his work on the uh, the UK band Massive Attack. Mm-hmm. He was their producer. He wrote a lot of their music. So this process took about a year before they finally dialed down on Davidge. 
So when Davidge was approached about the project, he didn't know it was about Halo 4, actually. And he actually turned it down because he didn't want to do a video game soundtrack. His manager would later tell him, though, that, you know, this job was for Halo. And he would quickly tell his manager, actually, like, okay, I lied. I want the job. I want the job. Give me the job. Because we'll, we'll go into why he really wanted that job. So Tojima would invite him to Seattle to meet with him and the rest of 343 Industries and was excited to learn that Davidge is actually a huge Halo fan literally since the first one in 2001 because he would use Halo Combat Evolved to get his head straight when he was getting frustrated in the studio in the past. Mm -hmm. So it's really crazy that, you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm familiar with it, but he's played everyone and he has Xboxes in his studio just for this situation. After the first meeting, Davidge uh, came to the second meeting with 343 Industries with the first piece of music that he had been working on. And the team loved it because originally they were just like, yeah, just go think of some ideas. But he yeah. came back with a song already, which they didn't expect. Mm -hmm. I think that's crazy. So this track would be Awakening, which is literally the first track on the Halo 4 Volume 1 soundtrack. It only took him a few hours to write, which is surprising because it is an interesting track. Yeah. But yeah, he, he wrote that, and he was he was supposed to wait until February of 2011. I think this was 2010 around, the, or, early to, or late 2010. But, you know, he was really just excited about the project, so he had to start working on it immediately. Mm -hmm. So audio director Tojima would then visit Davidge in his UK studio for a week, just watching how he works in the studio and staying up sometimes until 4 or 5 a.m. almost every night. This would eventually lead to Tojima stepping down as the lead composer, and he would let Davidge take over. And the biggest thing was that Davidge wasn't interested in going back to revisit the original music themes. It would only go back to kind of skim over and do like a quick preview, mm -hmm. just to kind of like, okay, they did feel like that. Okay, okay, they did something like that. You know, I think more so to not repeat himself and to kind of create his own sound with it. Yeah. He didn't want to come into the project cold either. So obviously, yeah. like, he needs a little bit of background with it. Mm -hmm. Davidge had been playing the games for almost 10 years at this point. So he said that the music of Halo was already very familiar with him and very much so like a part of his everyday life. So like we said, he just had to skim it. He pretty much knew what it was and wanted to make sure he didn't make that. Yeah. I guess in a way. Davidge would also read all of the books and any other Halo-related material that he could get his hands on. He would even replay the first three games in context to get a feel for how the music should fit into the game, as well as reading as many of the previous Halo books as he just could keep getting his hands on. Yeah, which is a lot by this point. Mm-hmm. Davidge wasn't the only composer. We also had Kazuma Janucci, who was the secondary composer. So when it came time for him to write the soundtrack, he would read the entire script and start to write the music for kind of the epic and important parts. You know, you got to get your big chunks out of the way first. Meat and potatoes before you get to the dessert, obviously. Uh, he tried to visit some of Marty's original themes, but found emulating them was too difficult. Even though tracks like uh, 117 are very reminiscent of Marty's original themes. Uh, moving on back to Davidge, he read the script for inspiration and then he would basically RPG or LARP as Master Chief. He, he really tried to emulate. Did like, you say role play? <laughs> what did I say? What did I say? RPG. He, he almost like mentally role played as the Master Chief. So he, he imagined when he would read the scripts, he was like, how is Master Chief 
feeling in this moment mm-hmm. or this encounter or anything like that because we do have you know some of those emotional themes as well. So eventually, Davidge would stop trying to write as if he were writing for a game soundtrack and start to write the music as if it was an album. Since when he did that, it became a lot more easier because mm-hmm. yeah, like when Marty is writing for you know a, a game. This this segment's going to be 10 minutes long. So I have to have this music that spans over this 10 minutes and changes depends on what you're doing. Instead, he just said, here's a three-minute track, here's a four-minute track, here's a five-minute track. So that's when things become a lot more interesting. He said that, you know, when he was trying to write the music to the action that was going on while the player was making their way through a mission, it was hindering his progress, really. You know, with that being said, he would only watch a cutscene once before writing for it. And when it came time to compose the music, he had 27 tracks written, which I don't know if, like, if you see it once and then write for it, it's almost kind of like, I don't know, reading a chapter once and then taking a test on it. Yeah, it's like you're not, doesn't seem like you're ready. Or he's just like, oh, I'll skim through it and then just... <laughs> Pretty much what it seems like. Over the course of production for the music, however, tensions would rise between Tojima and Davidge, often leading to many arguments due to conflicting ideas. Eventually, they would move past this and finish the soundtrack like good friends they are. Mm -hmm. Quote, unquote. (laughs) 343 Industries' audio department would only use 5% of original audio assets. The other 95% were created themselves, Though, Genoshi would remake Never Forget, Unforgotten. At one point, the sound team would travel to Australia to record Tasmanian Devils in the Wild and Tigers having a little fun time together. <laughs> because for some reason, and I would love to know what they used those uh, noises for, for mating tigers. Oh, it was just some dude's kink. <laughs> that was never used in the game. They're just like, like Rob, why are we, why are we, why are we at the zoo? Why are we recording these tigers mating right now? He's we, like, we need this. We need. He's like, no, no, no. It's really cool. It's going to be used for for this Promethean enemy. No, we cut that guy like months ago. No, no, no. no. I, I just talked to Frank. He's, yep, he's yep, re-implementing yep. it. We're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> the soundtrack was recorded with a 16-person hand-picked male tenor and bass choir and 10 females from the London Bulgarian Choir and a full 50-piece orchestra at the Abbey Road Studios and Angel Recording Studios in London and the Newman Score Stage in Los Angeles. By the end of the writing, recording, and mixing process, Davidge would send 343 Industries 340 minutes of music on April 21st, 2012. Yep. And, you know, interesting little tidbit, musical cues did start to make their way more and more into multiplayer Mm -hmm. because it's canonical to have music playing while you're fighting people. Just makes sense. True. So Satoru Tojima had stated that the sounds from Bioshock and Dead Space were huge inspirations for him when it came to writing the music. So or at least helping with the music. He he didn't write too terribly much, but, Mm -hmm. you know, with what he did help. So Tojima would also state that his three favorite areas in the game sound-wise were the music and the ending of the game, the ending of the first mission, and the sounds that the weapons make. He would also state that Halo 4 was the most exciting project that he had ever worked on in his life at the time. Because I really think that's... I mean, anyone who comes in and you're you're working on the Halo franchise, that's probably 90% of the people there. Mm-hmm. So the game would have a total of 200 gigabytes of sound files, which 2012, that's still a, it's still a little chunk right there. Yeah, I mean, they definitely could get down. 
No, we of course, wrong, of but, course. But the raw files were, were big, yeah, old, yeah, yeah. big old files. So, so the soundtrack itself actually released before the game did on October 22nd, 2012, physically and digitally for $13.98. Along with the original soundtrack, an $80 deluxe soundtrack would be released later on. This deluxe edition would include the original soundtrack, a remix soundtrack, a picture disc vinyl, a signed art print, a massive booklet detailing Neil Davidge's work on the game, a making of DVD, and more because I didn't want to list any of the other things that were coming with this. So there was only 5,000 copies of this deluxe soundtrack ever released. They're kind of expensive. I've looked into it. So don't get one. No, and don't get it because he also copyright striked us. He also did. He We tried to uh, use a fancy... Uh, uh, intro for our flood episode, and he said, "No, you cannot use my music." And we said, "Fine, we're going to tear you apart." <laughs> so, three four three Industries would also release a second volume of the Halo Four soundtrack digitally, April eighth, two thousand thirteen. So, the soundtrack this this new soundtrack would include twenty songs, eleven from Neil Davidge and nine from Kazumi Danushi. One of them was Janushi's Reimagined Never Forget. So mm-hmm. the fir- the volume one maybe contained like a handful of his songs, but this one they actually like included more of their own in-house yeah, composer's just, music. Mm-hmm. And like actually had like, well, you didn't make the game, but uh, you make this huge deluxe edition of it. Mm-hmm. So Davidge would also take the soundtrack in a new direction by releasing a remix album in the deluxe edition of the soundtrack like we had just mentioned. So the soundtrack would contain 14 tracks remixed from artists such as DJ Ski, Caspa, Sander Von Dern and Julian and Jordan, Guy Barotto, and a few other artists, including Apocalyptica and ex-Smashing Pumpkins guitarist James Aya. So there would also be a contest where fans could find the music stems for Halo 4's soundtrack at Halo4Remix.com, and they would create their own remixes of the tracks and enter to win prizes, because... There's always got to be a contest. Of course. In the first week's sales of Volume 1 soundtrack, it would sell over 9,000 copies, debuting number 50 on the Billboard 200, making it, at the time, the best video game soundtrack debut of all time, though it didn't actually beat the first week's sales of Halo 2's soundtrack. It would also debut at number 3 on the top soundtracks chart, making it the fifth Halo soundtrack to make the list, following Halo 2, 3, ODST, and Reach. Neil Davidge had this to say, you know, about... The cool people of Halo. Mm -hmm. Quote, hopefully the Halo fans will see that we're being respectful, but we've also taken it somewhere else and maybe onto a higher plane. If you're always trying to reference back, you're not creating new things. A little little full of himself, but that's all right. A little full of himself. Neil Davidge actually put his solo album on hold for two years while working on Halo 4. He would state that it would be an honor to meet Marty O'Donnell. They've only talked shortly on Twitter, and that many composers owe Marty a beer. After the game was released, Kyle Frazier, the sound designer and audio lead, said the sound department felt so much shame considering they felt the sound design in the game wasn't the best they could do. So, you know, after we're hearing like, oh, they did a great soundtrack, they put all this into it, but really everyone's like, we, as a whole, we could have done a lot more. Yeah, I listened to an interview with Kyle Frazier, and he was like, no, like we were not a fan of the sound design in that game because mm-hmm. he felt it was super rushed. Yeah. So let's wrap up music with trivia. So a lot of music was written without any visual inspiration, but, you know, because he didn't really see a lot of actual gameplay for the most mm-hmm. part. 
But Davidge had a monitor in his studio that would play a slideshow of Halo 4 concept art that would always be on while he was writing. So Wow. I, I think that kind of stuff does help. When you're writing music, sometimes I think, like, those visuals do help. Yeah, but, I mean, it's also just concept art. I mean... I don't know. I don't know. Ugh. So Neil Davidge didn't know how to write a soundtrack for a video game before accepting the job for mm-hmm. Halo 4. He had never done this, as we said. That's why he decided to just write individual tracks. So the track Revival was written to fit around test footage of the late David Anthony Pizzuto reading lines from the didact. So he was originally supposed to be the didact, but he passed before he mm-hmm. could fulfill that role. In an interview, when talking about the soundtrack, Neil Davidge actually held back tears when describing how he wanted the soundtrack to make people feel. The chants in Revival were what Chakas and Riser were singing in Cryptum to awaken the Didact. Oh, there's your tie-in. And finally, unlike O'Donnell, Davidge did not have a hand in implementing the music itself into the gameplay. He which just gave I, it to him and goes, here you go. Which I think is important because when you play Halo, you'll notice, when you play Halo 4, sometimes you'll notice that a cutscene, there's like three different tracks in a two-minute cutscene. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, this, this soundtrack is amazing. Like, you have tracks like Nemesis and even Arrival and, and this armor, like, in 117, like, all great tracks composed by those two men but for the most part, when you write a three-minute song and you say stretch this over a ten-minute sing or a scene, it shows. Mm-hmm. Versus, like when you have the Mantis theme that Janucci wrote, like you know that's a ten or twelve-minute senior in mm-hmm. the Mantis that it plays over and interacts with the whole time. So yep. I think that was one of the biggest faults for Halo Four, and and I understand why you know the guy clearly wasn't going to hang out at Three Four Three Industries for two sure. years to write this. But, you know, the music doesn't have as much of an impact because he wasn't there to say, no, I wrote this for this part. He just gave them the music. And they just kind of fit it in where they could. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, that sounds pretty good here. Yeah. And, and so that's why, like, sometimes transitions are rough or sometimes in the cutscenes themselves, it's just not implemented properly. And that that is a disappointment. I do love this soundtrack. If I had to give – I'll just go out and say if I had to give a favorite track, I think it's Nemesis because I'm a sucker for songs with, like, chants and choir in it. So – but overall, great soundtrack. There you go. Now we have the released versions of the game. Obviously, starting out, we have our standard release on the 360. We have the limited edition, which this edition would cost $99.99 and would include a special metal case. Next up, we had the limited edition, and this edition would cost $99.99, buckos, and would include a special metal case along with War Game Map Pack Access, Specializations, UNSC, Infinity Briefing Packet, Halo 4, Forward Unto Dawn. Which you could just throw out. Yeah, special edition of it. (laughs) And bonus digital content through Xbox Live. Then we have the limited edition Steelbook, which was a UK exclusive, probably because, like, Neil Davidge is like, I want something out of this for my people. Give them this limited edition Steelbook. Mm -hmm. We also have Game of the Year. And this version of the game would come with Spartan Ops Season 1, War Games Map Pass, Halo 4 Champions Bundle, and 15 pieces of pre-order exclusive content available for your Xbox 360 or Xbox One avatar. Released October 8th, 2013, costing only $49.99. Mm-hmm. Then we have the Origin Pack, which was released June 2013. And this version of the game came with Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary, Halo 4, and the Halo 4 soundtrack, and it was a Japanese exclusive. I tried to order this right before the world shut down, 
And unfortunately, it was not allowed in the country. Mm. So I now have to wait a while. I did get a refund. But, you know, they, I, I emailed the company over in Japan and they said, yeah, chances are this is thrown in the trash somewhere. But we'll refund you. Yeah. So there you go. So then we also have MCC and finally PC eventually. Maybe. Eventually. Who knows? Maybe uh, they're just uh, throwing the trash <laughs> like your game in Japan. <laughs> Halo, <laughs> the wound is still fresh. It's still there. Halo Ford also get its own Xbox 360. This 320 gigabyte console would come with two controllers, a headset, and a copy of Halo 4. It would also include exclusive armor skin, weapon skin, emblem, matching avatar armor, and avatar prop. When asked about a PC version of Halo 4, Microsoft would state, quote, Halo 4 was designed specifically for the Xbox 360, and while we're always exploring new ways to expand the franchise and share the Halo experience with as many fans as possible, uh, we do not currently see how many plans going on the PC. Yeah, I love that. They're like, we've we've made this amazing game, and it's optimized for 360. You're not getting it on PC. Move on, kid. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're at one of the final sections of the episode where we talk about the general reception and reaction of the game itself. So with Halo 4 being the biggest Microsoft release at the time, they needed to deliver. Even though Phil Spencer was reluctant to reveal the development cost, it was estimated around $40 million, which is $10 million more than Halo 3. Mm -hmm. But that was, of course, before marketing cost came into it. So just creating the game itself. But Microsoft would even brand Halo 4 as the biggest entertainment launch of the year. Mm -hmm. So with the release date of Halo 4 being on the same day as the 2012 presidential election, some actually speculated that fans would not vote, but instead waited to get their copy of Halo 4 somewhere at a GameStop instead. IGN even created a survey to help gauge this idea, but it, it didn't affect anything. Yeah. Like, come, come on. There's still a lot of kids that were playing this anyway, so you probably had like three people who skipped. Who knows? Who knows? But Alex Seropian would state that he's confident that Halo 4 would be a good game, considering Microsoft put as much time and resources into games as they could. Jason Jones actually played and completed Halo 4, stating it was, quote, an interesting experience playing a Halo game that I didn't have anything to do with. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Yeah, it's real, real interesting, guys. Uh, I didn't make it. Interesting. So did you like the game or not? Boy, it's interesting. Hey, I, I played it. <laughs> what more do you want from me? I played your game. Yeah. 25 days before the launch of the game, as is Halo tradition, 343 Industries would suggest to fans to go dark online in order to avoid potential spoilers on forums or YouTube. Illicit copies of the game would start to appear online around this time. Images and videos and torrents would start to surface and Microsoft had no way of knowing how they ended up online. Kotaku actually reached out to a few people selling early copies of Halo 4 on Craigslist. One seller would claim that the leak came from one man whose copy of Halo 4 was stolen from him. Could have been a journalist, you know, with an early copy. We see that a lot with, like, yeah. iPhones or stuff like that. It gets kind of pickpocketed. Yeah. When asked about the leak so close to the 11th hour, no one at 343 Industries really seemed to care. Frank O'Connor stated that it wouldn't affect the marketing or release of the game. And Microsoft would state that if any player was caught playing Halo 4 early, their console would be permanently banned. 
More and more players would appear to be playing Halo 4 on their Xbox Live account, but it was unclear whether or not these were the final product or unfinished builds, like we said. For journalists. Is it a journalist yeah. or is it someone playing illegally? Mm-hmm. So the story would leak in September of 2012 due to 343 Industries showing a shot, or they, they released this video, this like a Vidoc, and the camera pans over showing a shot of someone writing in a physical copy of the script. So mm. people enhanced it. And, you know, next thing you know, they posted all over the Internet because it was an important part. Because like, oh. I remember I watched that Vidoc for research and I got like squinted in. I was like, man, wouldn't it be funny if like this was a giveaway for something? And then later on, I figured that that was literally a giveaway Jeez. because like it, it gave away uh, the main plot and who the villain was and what happened to Cortana. So like. So yeah, the major portions of it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the entire game. Yeah. And so to add to the laundry list of Halo 4 leaks. Weeks before the 2012 E3, a video would emerge on YouTube from user Skid Kid. The video shows a VHS tape being put into a TV that is sitting on top of a bale of hay, showing footage of Halo 4's multiplayer beta. Microsoft would only state that they were conducting internal betas and would not deny the legitimacy of the footage. Mm-hmm. I have so many questions. It's beautiful. Why VHS? Why? What? Uh, you wouldn't remember it if he just played it on his computer. Got to be cool about it's it. It's just the fact that it's like in some barn and it just... Like, <sighs> it's great. And this, this is why I loved the leaks for Halo 4 because like it wasn't from a French retailer this time. It was from stolen copies and a guy who had a VHS tape with footage it's beautiful. on it. I love it. But just a random little trivia fact. One fan, and I'm sure there were many others, but I was watching a Videk or a Vidoc, and one fan waited nine hours outside of a Microsoft store to be the first one to get his hands on Halo 4. What what a waste of nine hours. (laughs) Halo 4 would sell $220 million in the first day sales alone, and over $300 million in the first week. Microsoft would go on to state that Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 didn't even make that much during its premiere. Well, you know what, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which is just basically the end movie and the sequel, and everyone's kind of done with it, we made more money. Yeah. And it's like... Which, hey, I'm, I'm not even, even get at Harry Potter right now. But. No, but either way. Phil Spencer would confirm that Halo 4 was the biggest entertainment launch of the year, and Halo 4 would go on to be the top-selling Xbox 360 game of all time in the U.S. The game even outgrossed the release of the Avengers. And I was, I was at both the premiere of the Avengers and the premiere of Halo 4. Five days after the release of the game... 343 Industries would release stats from the community's participation with the game thus far. And we've got 1,116,882 players beat the campaign, and 6% of those beat it on Legendary. 31.4 million hours were spent playing the game with 13.5 mil in the campaign, and 1.9 in Spartan Ops, and 16 total in War Games. 43,335,060 achievements were unlocked. And four billion five hundred ninety million four hundred sixteen thousand and two hundred and eighty five kills were earned with two point six million in campaign, five hundred five million in the Spartan Ops, and one point four billion in war games. Uh, and in November, Black Ops Two would outsell Halo Four, with Black Ops being number one, Halo Four being number two. But keep in mind that is sales from the three sixty PS three and for some reason the Wii U. Yes, everything. I, I remember everything is on the Wii U at one just, point. Just for some reason, they're like, just put it on there. Just put it on there. Who cares? Yeah, we'll make $10,000 off it. Though Halo 4 would reach the top of the charts in sales in the UK, 
making it the 18th highest selling game in the UK of all time, it still wouldn't outsell Halo 3 or Reach in the UK. And by December, Halo 4 would fall to the third best selling video game of the month, falling just under Just Dance, one of the greatest games of all time. I met, I only included that for you. <laughs> yes, Just Dance is the best. But this was the 17th month in a row that the 360 outsold all other consoles. Yeah, so 2012 was like the year of the 360. Yes. But I think it's because it was also so heavily discounted because it was starting to die out. So they're like, please buy. Well, and it's like the last year for Microsoft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so after Halo 4's launch, Halo had officially earned three. billion in revenue since 2001, and Halo 4 would go on to sell around 8 million copies. And at the time, it was the best and fastest selling Halo game. And Halo 4 would go down as one of the top 10 best selling Xbox 360 games of all time. Yep. A lot of this was hype, though. Lots of it was hype. Same with Halo 5. Oh, it's it's leaving off the bungee wagon. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, we're doing chief, and there's new enemies, and there's new stuff. Yeah. So after the initial launch of the game, many players would have trouble attempting to connect to an online game due to the amount of players logging on and 343 industry servers not being able to handle the payload. Even though the multiplayer was supported by Windows Azure and Project Orleans to prevent this, both were used by developers who did not want to have to manage all the unnecessary, you know, networking infrastructure for multiplayer games. So mm-hmm. so Windows came up with these and then they just kind of, like, the second they were actually, like, put to the test, it like, kind of well, failed. Fail. So 343 Industries would communicate with fans, stating that they would work to narrow down possible solutions. 343 Industries actually had a team of staff monitoring the servers 24-7 in case of emergencies like this. They were called Section 3, because Oni! <laughs> Funny. On November 29th, 2012, Microsoft would announce that the server issue would be fixed and everything went back to normal. So now this is probably going to be my favorite thing of this whole Halo 4 series. Mm -hmm. So one Halo fan, Timothy, that's all we know of him, would receive a copy of Halo 4 from his family as a gift, but it did not work on his Xbox 360. He would write to Bungie, not 343 Industries, but Bungie, stating that he deserves a refund for the game. Bungie would actually film a video response where community manager Deej would state that they are sending Timothy a new copy of Halo 4 and ask that he give their regards to the Master Chief. So they, Oh, Timothy. I just love the fact that he, like, he, clearly he did not know much and is like, uh, your new Halo game doesn't work. And they're like, well, it's not our game, but we'll send you a new copy anyways. I mean, it's just, it's cool. I mean, it's really cool that they were <laughs> up and willing to do that. So let's talk about scores overall. On Metacritic, it would get an 87 out of 100. But for the most part, we're seeing some pretty positive reviews, like 1UP giving it an A-. Uh, CVG and Edge gave it an 8 out of 10. Game Informer gave it a 9.25 out of 10. G4, 4.5 out of 10. GameSpot, 9 out of 10. Games Radar Plus would be 4.5 out of 5. IGN, 9.8 out of 10. Ooh. OXM US would give it a 9.5. And Polygon would also give it a 9.5 out of 10. And as for awards, it did really well across the board. I mean, you're pulling in best multiplayer, best shooter, best graphics. It mm-hmm. did extremely well and, and, and racked in the awards. IGN gave it like eight awards. Yeah. They paid IGN for those awards. Uh, they did. <laughs> they, they actually did. There was a whole thing about that. But, you know, at the time, too, with an IGN, in all the games, there wasn't that many shooters out that were, like, really pushing it. You had some Call of Duty stuff, but 
Not too much coming out with that, but they did pretty well sweeping yeah. those awards. Halo 4 overall was a critically acclaimed game. Winning awards and taking the Halo franchise to the next level and bringing in a new generation of Halo players. But we would still see his fair share of bad reviews. Many would critique it being entirely too different from the Bungie Halo without any real smooth transition from 3 to 4's art style, story, really anything if you're just going with the core games. CVG would state, quote, the series' trademark scale has been sacrificed, mm-hmm. end quote, and the game felt way more grounded than any other previous Halo game, and this left a bad taste in some fans' mouths. There was never really a, the sense of danger throughout the game for humanity. Instead, the players were simply trying to save Cortana, which I hated, mm-hmm. ending on a quick time event, which I hated, rather than an epic Warthog run or battle against an enemy, kind of like with Tartarus. Mm-hmm. Like, just having those aspects instead of just crawling, button mash, button mash, look, we're Call of Duty. Yeah. And so it just wasn't there for us. Mm-hmm. Halo 4 has gone on to grow out of fans over the years after the release of Halo 5, but it doesn't change the fact that something Halo would have been better left alone after Bungie said goodbye to it. Mm. Regardless, Halo 4 has solidified itself in the Halo legacy and is old enough now that fans can look back at it and feel an exciting sense of nostalgia from years past. So Josh Holmes would state that how 343 Industries tackled the didact in Halo 4 could have been better since they left out most of his real motivations to the books and not making them clear in the game, which we've talked about. And I like literally Josh Holmes goes, the creative director for the game goes, hmm, I think we kind of screwed that up. Yep. He doesn't actually sound like that. But Kotaku described the didact as, quote, hi, I hate humans and I'm telekinetic. Also, I have a death ray and you are my enemy. Read my books. It's <laughs> <laughs> about right. So Haraspus, who is a blogger, would write an article uh, understanding Halo 4 without the books to help fans' confusions about the plot. And Ryan Payton would claim that Halo 4, you know, Ryan Payton was, we learned in part one, he was the uh, the original creative director. Mm-hmm. So Ryan Payton would claim that Halo 4 felt like a sequel to 3, which was what he was trying to avoid, and Payton didn't even want to call it Halo 4. So, you know, this guy is another one that's kind of full of himself, so I don't think it would have sold as well if it was Halo... Requiem. Halo guy in a ball attacks. Yeah, Halo, yeah, like it, it, it wouldn't have happened. So let's wrap this up with a quote from Frank O'Connor two months post Halo 4's launch. We have a lot to learn. We made a lot of mistakes. We can do better. And we know this and we will. But I don't want to think about the negatives because, frankly, I'm incredibly proud of both the team and the game that the team created. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can... Totally understand that. Mm -hmm. You know, he's admitting, like, we may have missed the mark, but I'm proud of what we created. We created a functional piece of really cool art Mm -hmm. that people have played. Like, we've sold a bunch of copies. We've done it. It didn't necessarily maybe live up to some expectations, but, you know, you got to be proud of what you created through that. Exactly. So now this is the point where we sit back and we discuss what we thought of the game. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you probably already know the answer to what we think about this, but we're still going to discuss it anyways, Mm because now we really are finally going to address, you know, what we liked and what we didn't like. So as always, Alex, please start us off. Sure. So Halo 4 for me, like I said, Halo Reach was kind of the unfortunate killer for me for the Halo series, Mm -hmm. but I went, you know what? Maybe that just didn't like a spinoff. Maybe that wasn't the spinoff for me, and I like more of the Chief's story. So I was like, all right, let's try Halo 4 out. And... Immediately, it just being an old Halo player from CE on, 
it just didn't feel like the game I wanted to play. Mm-hmm. There were new enemies, but on first playthrough, there's no description of why they're really there. Like, obviously, they do bits and pieces explained throughout, but on your first initial playthrough, you're like, what the hell? Like, why are these things attacking me? Why are they mm-hmm. just floaty robots with robot guns? Cool, I can only use robot guns this entire game. You made robot gun the simulator, and I get human weapons for the two minutes at the beginning when Chief is wearing them, and then I don't get any more. Yeah. And so I had great issues with that, and I just, I fell off real early on. Like, I actually leveled up more in Reach than I did in 4. Yeah, I don't doubt that. And I, and I, I played the multiplayer a bit. I, I, I jumped in, but it just... I was already off the wagon with Reach, and I was now walking away from it entirely with four. Yeah. And so I traditionally, what friends and I would do, we'd buy the midnight launch, and we'd stay up as long as we could trying to beat the campaign. And I never felt any of that in this game. I never felt that funness of it, of being there with a friend playing it, and it just was was not fun. And so I fell off. I didn't play Barton Ops uh, until MCC. I didn't really jump back into 4 until then. So, like, I didn't play any of the uh, downloadable content until MCC. I really didn't jump in until then. And there's some things I've definitely liked about it, like Dominion and a couple other multiplayer aspects in it. But, yeah, just it just never for me. I know for other people, and especially our younger listeners, they're like, 4 was my first game, and I loved mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And it's like, if that's your first intro to it, yeah, maybe that was... You didn't have this lingering story behind it. Like, yeah. you didn't know everything that already happened. It's just like, oh, cool, fighting these things, fun. Um, on the, the most positive note, I will say Halo 4, for me, improved the gunplay immensely. Mm-hmm. The guns felt snappier, cleaner, better to shoot. It felt like a modern shooter at that point. Yeah. And I think they did really well with that. For me, so the, as much as I dislike this game, spoiler, I hold it really dear to my heart because I was, you know... I was there for the midnight release. We got it. Um, I played most of the campaign with my my best friend that night, you know, as you described. Mm-hmm. Woke up the next day, finished it, and I just remember I finished the campaign, and I sat there for a while, and I was like, should I – like, what should I be feeling right now? Like, Yeah, because my assumption when we did that, that QTE at the end, uh-huh. I was like, oh, he's going to do, like, this crazy thing. They're going to have to fight. Yeah. Or they're going to have to do something. And then you're like, oh. Oh, Okay. Yeah, and it was, like, one of those things. It's, like, I, you know, the, the game has some merit, like you said, with the gameplay. And, like, the multiplayer for me was really fun. Mm-hmm. I think it, it kind of lost its identity as a Halo multiplayer at that point. But I, me and my friends still played the hell out of it. But, I mean, you know, to me, like, I'm definitely that guy that's, like, you don't need to change the art style unless and, – and if you do, it's just kind of subtle here and there. Like, from CE to 2, 2 to 3, mm-hmm. 3 to Reach, things like that. Like, I think it's okay to do that, but – when you change the art style so differently, we have a new race of all the 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 Covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the UNSC uniforms are completely different now. All the armor is completely different now. And you can give me a novel of canonical reasoning behind it, but it's still infuriating to me. And I and like for an example, I felt that way from Batman Arkham City to Batman Arkham Knight. Mm-hmm. Like it was almost a completely new art style. And I was so frustrated because I'm like, this didn't need to change as drastically as it did. And you, by all means, if you have subtle changes throughout, that's fine. But to me, it's like the equivalent of going from like art style wise to like two to reach or something. You one, know? And I think one of the biggest things as well is that let's say this was clean cut. Bungie's like, 
our hands are done. See you guys later. And then Microsoft hires another team and they're like, hey guys, we're going to make this our own. I don't think people would have been receptive, but they would have been more understanding, I think. Yeah. Instead of 343 being like, oh, we worked closely with them. Some of us are Bungie employees. You know, we think we know exactly what we're doing. We're making it different. Yeah. And I think it just left a sour taste of like, we didn't have to. No, you, you didn't. You could have nuanced it from like three to reach, which mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, like art style for the most part wasn't people's gripes with reach. You know, it was more so the story. Mm-hmm. But but with this, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, like th- that alone is just one gripe I have because I, I, you know, as I put in the notes, this game ends on a quick time event rather than fighting Tartarus or fighting for your life or a, a, a warthog run. That's something that's become iconic for the series. You know, because really, it, it 343 wanting to push so hard. Look, Chief is in a robot. Chief is in a robot. Yep. He was designed as a robot. That's the equivalent of saying we're giving Doom Guy a romantic side story. Yeah. Why? this? He was created in an era, and even to this day, that, you know, sometimes the first the, the or the character for a first person shooter is silent. Yes. Because you're supposed to be that character. So when you start taking that away and giving autonomy to a character that to me I, I love Chief. You know, I thought he was so cool growing up. And then, you know, now we're just gonna make him this really tortured emotional guy. You know, the more of this guy that we got in the books, which we didn't really see it that much in the books either. No, I mean, even in like the, I, I always call it the first trilogy of books, mm-hmm. the first kind of three, like you do see a little bit more of a side and obviously you get to see him grow up and talk a bit more and, and see where kind of his scars kind of come from. But it's it's never, like you said, this romanticized relationship with Cortana. Yeah, because before it was like a really kind of like they're busting each other's balls, like kind of motherly almost kind of thing. Now all of a sudden we have Cortana who's like, Oh, I've been waiting so long to touch you and all this stuff. And it's like, to me, I was just, I was so blown away by how upset I was. Because even at the end of the day, like, uh, Cortana's personality changed. And I get that she's kind of dying, but she still was more whiny than anything. Chief being a lot more talkative and a lot of these things that kind of upset me. I, I will say that you know on a positive side halo 4 is a a very beautiful game through and through yeah can't deny it. and as you said the gameplay itself is super fun mm-hmm. like it's a fun game to play you actually feel like you're getting some stuff done do the prometheans suck a lot especially with their design yes absolutely i try to look at this all with a grain of salt after doing the research just because microsoft themselves were betting against 343 at one point mm-hmm. But 343 also said, no, 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 let us do it. When you have guys like Shane Kim who are like, you probably shouldn't. Because at one point it, it blows my mind because everyone says, oh, 343 or Microsoft could never let, you know, Halo die. They considered it. Yeah. They considered it. But it was someone from it wasn't the corporation as a whole. It was one person who said, no, let me put this team together. It, clearly they milk it now. Yes, absolutely. But they were going to let it die. And and honestly, I wouldn't have been upset if it did, you know, have, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, knowing that, you know, we go from four to five, you know, five was just, yeah, yeah again, a whole other episode. But, you know, five happened because of four, mm-hmm. you know, it. it I honestly would have been okay with this series never happening. And now we have 343 going back in art style, you know, taking a step back and making it more classic just because they finally, after having the IP since 2009, essentially, finally listened to the the fans. So six years later, they finally listened to the fans. You know, and and I've been ranting too long. But overall, the game does have some merit. Great soundtrack. I, I can't deny that. 
or I can't stress that enough. Great soundtrack. Neil Davidge really killed it. And I see, you know, great tracks on there. How it was implemented was unfortunate just because, again, he wasn't there. So you can kind of understand why. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think 343 came into this project with a chip on their shoulder. And, you know, it was just crazy, you know, hearing Frankie go from like when you're listening to him in the Bungie podcast, be kind of this happy go lucky guy. To now he's a very serious guy that's, you know, really making these dumb excuses for things about, oh, we're innovating the multiplayer. No, you're you're doing what people wanted already. You're you're yeah. giving back what you took away. And that's what they're doing now with Infinite, you know? But I mean, with that being said, let's let's rate it. Let's rate this game. I'm probably going to give Halo 4 a 6 out of 10, if not a 6.5 out of 10. Because, you know, for all the reasons I had explained, you know, at this point I was I was all in for Halo. And and this was the game where, you know, this was my reach, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so for for me, it's a 6, 6.5 out of 10. 6, 6.25 out of 10. Yeah, I don't know. I'd probably give this probably 18 dumb alien guns that I had to use that weren't cool covenant guns out of a disgusting weird romance that made me uncomfortable uh, out of 17. I like it. Thank you. With that being said, that was Halo 4 Part 2. This episode was months in the making and probably one of our most requested episodes. So I am super glad that we finally got to present all of our findings to you and the rest of the world. Thank you for sticking around for two episodes. Mm -hmm. And as always, um, one of our biggest things that helps us keep going, and if you guys can, it'd be awesome to kind of contribute with it. If not, I totally understand, but it is our Patreon. So with that, we are able to fund a lot of the research that we do, put the lights on in the studio and plenty of other things. And, you know, within that Patreon, we give a lot of exclusives like game night prints plenty of other things if you have any questions about it you can check it out today mm-hmm. and one of the big things you you get yourself uh, a shout out for the episodes just thanking you guys for supporting us and we truly truly appreciate it we'll start that out with alejandro jaramillo angry canadian baby z Bretton bagley charles zitter cowan fong feliciano d gamer 1298 delfix duststorm grant dillon harvey chong james yervasi jonas colonel panic Tactics, Dragonfire, Mr. Trolf, Quantum Easy, Skyjack, that LL Gamer guy, and ZZ Slipaway. So not to jinx us, but we are currently at a total of 22 patrons. Mm -hmm. Three more. Jesse and I have to play. Well, I have to play with Jesse, I guess I should say. CE on Legendary. So I'm fine with it. I just now have, let's call it baggage. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with me to complete the campaign. I, I'm I'm so honored that you consider me baggage. Yes. Because so, I was expecting something way worse. So we'll definitely figure out some live stream aspect of that and get it recorded mm. so our patrons can view that at any point, but we'll, we'll do a live stream on that. So if you have any questions, let us know. But patron as well, we have some merch out and some prints. All of those, once again, help support us. And all those links will be in wherever you're listening to this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't forget to you know like us on Facebook or follow Follow us on Twitter or Instagram and feel free to join our Discord. It is free for all. And, you know, if if you're listening to this right now, how can we join Discord? It's in the link of the description of this episode. Mm-hmm. Or hit us up. Either one. And, yeah. And, and for whatever reason you can't find it, send us a message and we will send you an invite. And also be sure to listen to us on 
any podcast platform. But if you are going to leave us a review, please do it on iTunes. And if you want to listen to us just on Spotify, we're very okay with that because that also helps a podcast in the long run Mm -hmm. as well. And once again, this was wrapping up Halo 4 with Halo 4 Part 2. Part 2. Part do and believe it or not, we're not stopping there though because we are going to continue the Halo 4 storyline with our next episode, Spartan Ops, coming out two weeks from today. Yeah, so we're definitely breaking it down a bit more. Obviously, we had a paragraph in there, but we wanted to give it its own episode to do it a little bit of justice because mm-hmm. um, otherwise, we're going to add another hour, hour and a half into this episode yeah. to kind of dive into it and the lore and everything else that we're going to have with that. Yeah, because there were some interesting tidbits that went into the development of Spartan Ops in it of itself. Yeah, and, and it's, it's like I said, we'll have that out for you guys. So I, I'm excited about that one. Like I said, I played through them. They're incredibly tough and legendary, but they're interesting to play. Wouldn't know. Yeah, exactly. But with that being said, you know, hail Franck. So with that, I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. <laughs>